CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. And today, we're interviewing a unicorn, the one, the only stank dog i am stoked for this one um of you know we talk about it everything in the podcast i guess this is an intro um but i didn't really know stank dog that that well we've always been super cool like every time i've ever seen him i was always a big fan um but yeah we never really spent that much time together or hung out that much so this was a real treat for me to get to hang with a dude um, that is such a legend, multiple interests, um, not just motocross. Um, so yeah, this was a really, really cool uh, podcast to do. Stank Dog is a, uh, a bit of an icon of sorts. So to hear his story, the way he grew up, and I guess just like what created um, the great man that, that we know as Stank Dog. Uh, also a bit of a uh, disclaimer. Um Stank Dog likes to smoke weed. Uh, weed's illegal here in Australia, so I got like this fake stuff that's not actually weed but gets you stoned, um, and that's what I smoked uh, during this podcast. So I don't normally smoke weed at nine o'clock in the well. I don't normally smoke fake weed at nine o'clock in the morning, um, but did on this episode probably sounded like an idiot as a result of it. Um, but yeah, look, when Stank Dog asks if you want to smoke with him on the podcast, you say yes. Um, so that's what we did, and. I really enjoyed it. The guy is just one of the most genuine, down-to-earth dudes riding a dirt bike, and uh, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, before we get into today's episode, though, we're brought to you by the guys at MX Store, mxstore.com.au, uh, and also, we're excited that we will be finally racing our 125 Bike Sales Project Bike at the MX Store Gold Coast Cup next weekend, 16th of October. Mike Sleater's ego has booked Jats a flight from Cairns to the Gold Coast. We were going to do it. Uh, it was going to come out of our production budget, but uh, thanks, old Sleet Dog. I would love to play Sleater in poker because this guy literally likes paying to lose, which is awesome. It's awesome for us. Uh, so we'll be at the GC Cup on the 16th uh, at the Gold Coast Motorcycle Club. Jats will be there, and uh, yeah, we're on. Uh, if you need anything before the Gold Coast Cup, uh, you can head to mxstore.com.au. Guaranteed, I will be going there for something at some point. Uh, if you are not uh, able to do the click and collect deal, which is what I do most of the time, uh, you can head to mxstore.com.au. And if you order before 2 p.m., you're going to get same day shipping. Biggest range of parts and accessories in Australia, the boys and the girls. 
Uh, we're brought to you today once again by the guys at Anti-Gravity Batteries. Do me a favor, go to antigravitybatteries.com. Com. Uh, these guys are the number one lightweight lithium battery available in the market. Now, they do motorsport batteries. Um, these are used on the factory Kawasaki team. Uh, they're used on the star racing team. Uh, they're used on the pro circuit team. These guys make literally the best batteries in the world um, for your dirt bike. They are a super lightweight design that just slides straight into your OEM slot um, for battery. So they also do a bunch of other accessories as well, uh, like their micro start, jump starter. They do uh, deep cycle um, uh, batteries for like cars and trucks, and then they do a bunch of other uh, charges and accessories. Um, there's I'm, I'm about to do uh, an order with these guys because their products are honestly um, insane. So like things like their PS45, they've got a portable power station um, that basically you can charge like a wall plug. You get like four or five laptop charges in it. It's got two USB ports. Um, they do solar panels uh, to charge batteries they've got their like i said they've got their micro start which again usb you can jump start your car um these guys do everything batteries and it's not just moto where these guys get used they get used in like trophy trucks they get used in uh jet skis uh speed boats um trust me when i say that these guys are, are the best in the world at what they do um the crew there uh, fans of Gypsy Tales and that's how this relationship came about and that is how I love these kind of relationships to go so antigravitybatteries.com trust me get on there have a look you will not be disappointed are you a dirty dirty boy is your bike a dirty 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 bike well the guys at Crush Oz have you dialed you can head to crushoz.com they are an Aussie made company by riders for riders uh, and they know that the best way to protect your investment is just to bloody keep it clean fundamentals abcs keep your bike clean you're gonna have a bike that runs better it's better to look at look good feel good uh nah but in all seriousness i look i take bike washing pretty seriously we've got an episode coming out with stank dog um and we actually will probably run this ad on as well so in this episode with stank dog we actually talk a lot about washing the bike and being really really good at it it makes a big difference uh something my dad always harped on as a kid uh didn't take it real seriously until i started paying for all my own shit to be honest uh and now boy i want to get every single bit of dirt off my bike uh and then that's where the guys at crush oz come in head to crushoz.com peep the website um i use their bike wash bucket but i've also got one of the 20 liter drums so i pretty much just run through um the full cycle of products um and that's pretty much your one-stop shop for keeping your bike clean so boys and girls i know you're dirty but keep your bike clean we're also brought to you by the guys at fist handwear you can head to fisthandwear.com if you're listening to this in the u.s get on fisthandwear.com use a code gypsy gang and get 15 percent off they ship everywhere all over the world they're in like 50 something countries this isn't just an aussie ad you can get fist 
anywhere in the world. Uh, also head to dixonquality.com.au. That same code is going to get you 15% off as well on the best range of flannels, t-shirts, board shorts, the whole deal. Uh, that code is also going to get you 15% off at rivalinkdesignco.com. These boys continuously smash it out of the park. They are the real innovators in this space. Uh, and we're super proud to be associated with guys at Rival Inc. And we're also proud to be associated with the guys at Crick's Tweed. Hands down, the best sales and service experience that you can get buying a new or used vehicle in Australia. Hands down, period, point blank. All right, that's it, guys. Uh, hope you all enjoyed doing this one uh, as much as I did. Hopefully, you're all as relaxed by the end of it as uh, as I was. And uh, posting this on a Friday, Arvo, hope you'll have a good weekend. If you're riding, toes, knees back. No. <laughs> Enjoy your weekend, everybody. From the gang Sick, bro. All right, well, let's just get into it. Like, I don't know whether we just caught that, but I'll let the people know that this is a bit of a bucket list podcast for me. The one, the only, Stank Dog. You, baby. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm so pumped. I've been, I've been a big fan for a long ass time. I'm sure we've met like a bunch of times, like just kind of in passing while I was over there, but we never really got to like hang, hang. Um, so yeah, big fan, bro. Big fan. Dude, thank you. Been, been a big fan of you as as well. And uh, dude, appreciate you for being a fan of myself. And I'm yeah, I think we have ran into each other a few times and dude, nothing but love here, baby. Nah, nah. Yeah, I, I definitely, I know we've definitely like been cool and said g'day and like done the whole thing but as far as like legit hanging out i i would definitely would have loved to have uh partied with you at some point and smoke weed but we just didn't make it happen so uh this is as good as it gets for now yes yeah, as good as it gets right now but we're gonna make that happen in the near future well me it's funny uh so shout out to sammy um so this happened through sammy as like all great podcasts do um but we were talking last night hey I don't know if you've seen it, but I got a pretty fucking dope TC125. Um, so there's an Australian Supercross series. I mean, you know, I'm just saying, I feel like you and Jackson Richardson could probably be the dopest team in the Australian pits. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. Um, actually, <laughs> we invited Sam out to, uh, I think it was his very first Waffle House. I forget I forget where we were, but it was after Supercross one one day, and uh, we went to Waffle House, and he actually talked about it. He's like, dude, it'd be sick to get you over here to do the Australian Super, Supercross Series with Jackson as a teammate, dude. Like, that would be so sick. And I was like, dude, anytime. I'm ready to come right now. Well, we got we got that TC125. Um, do you, you run the MX Tech suspension too, don't you? Yeah, Jeremy Wilkie, dude, he's a he's the wizard man. He's 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 he knows what he's doing. Yeah, so I got uh I got a that one two five. It's got their natty shock in it. It's got their uh, blackjack fort. Like they just they did it up right. So we finally rode that. Oh thing yeah, you got the whole the horse time. and pony. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we got it all. Dude, dude, so sick, so sick. I bet it just rips. Yeah, so I mean, all the foundations are laid, bro. We got like, Jeremy can just send your settings. We just pump them in. Like, this is just a plug and play operation as far as I'm concerned. 
dude straight up when he sends you the shock you don't even have to set your sag it's preset for you like it's it's ready to go oh that's sick how um how'd you end up working with those guys because it's crazy i i just come across them because their their shit is just porn to like anyone that likes bikes essentially um but then i found out it's funny like i got that shock um and i just had so many dms of people saying how good that that shock is um and then i was like damn these guys have like a hardcore like cult following dude yeah and like so it started in 2016 um one of their employees his name's matt matt ish um he just came up to me i think we were at Redbud, and i was running factory connection suspension on the time and it was mid-summer of the uh 125 summer and uh, he's like dude we'd love to get get you on a set of our suspension our shop's close by if you want to come by come test it it's like i wasn't getting very much love from factory connection at the time and i was like yeah dude like yeah i'd love to any testing helps like i don't get the chance to test none of that like i'm fully on board with that and it was like pretty much before all the all the porn stuff came out you know like we didn't have the natty shock we didn't have all the all the bling bling yet and uh Jeremy was working on it, you know, but just didn't have it yet. And the stuff I wrote, I was absolutely amazed with before even the Natty Shock and all that. Just, it was beautiful settings, just riding out there on the track. It felt like I was riding pillows, even though it was uh, Air Forks on the 125 at the time. It was just like perfect for them. And dude, just been with him since 2016 and everything has just progressed and progressed and progressed. And now he's, now he's got his own A-Kit fork, you know, and just he's, dude, he's on another level. Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, for me, I love when I see a company that's kind of like the underdog, you know, like they're not the established big brand name and they, they don't have like the fancy marketing and they don't have like, you know, all that front end stuff that um, it just seems like a lot of people put that shit first, you know, and then you come across this. And, and for me, like, I love riding bikes so much. I love building bikes. To me, it's just the coolest thing. And like on my end, when they they sent that stuff, I was just blown away. I was like, how the fuck? Like, I, I just couldn't believe that someone would send me so much, like, well, such good shit. And uh, yeah, so I'm just huge, huge, huge fan of like the way that they go about it. And yeah, to me, I'm just stoked. Um, and the product is fucking insane. So a little bit of an ad for them at the start of the podcast, but I'm stoked. I just, I just think <laughs> yeah, that's like, absolutely. that's just good people doing really good work. And I feel like that, you know, should be talked about when that shit happens. And there's a lot of people that are doing it, but um, that's just a cool example of like a really cool company with a really cool dude that is like doing cool shit. Yep. Down to help anyone and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. I just literally DM'd him and I was like, man, I absolutely love your stuff. We got this bike. Dude, four or five days later in Australia, all that shit showed up. And I was just like, fucking hell, these guys put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, the, dude, there's been times like where I've needed stuff sent overnight and they've literally overnighted it to me. Like it's been like six o'clock their time in the afternoon. And they're like, it's going to be on your door at 8 a.m. And I'm like, ah, bullshit, man. Like you're in Illinois and I'm in Oregon. No fucking way is it getting to my house at 8 a.m. Sure enough, it's first thing waking me up is my suspension on the door. And I'm like, dude, you guys are insane. Like you go above and beyond every time. Like it doesn't matter. Like, for example, like I've seen magazine shoots bikes have it on there you know it's like and i'm sh sure they're just here here guys like get it get it just get our name out there get our name out there you know like 
it's all love from them guys it's in, it's awesome yeah and i think that's the thing like i mean this probably leads into um a different conversation but when you're a privateer like because i mean that's the thing that i felt like i was like man these guys just want to help out and that's all i want you know like i don't i don't really give a fuck about getting paid i don't give a fuck about making commission off shit if that like whatever i just if you guys are down to help like that feels good when you've got a good company that just like wants to help you do what you want to do and i mean you being a privateer and doing the like race in the way that you race when people just genuinely help when you need help fuck it feels good dude it it feels great like it makes you feel like you are a factory rider i mean it is it is factory level potential uh suspension you know jeremy is is a genius and the looks of it is 100 percent factory level top notch in my opinion the handling of it is right there on on its way. You know, it's it's uh, just a little notch behind the factory guys, and it, it it's gonna get there one day, and uh, I, very soon actually, I believe. And dude, he just the teams he has and everyone, it's the generosity from the privateer life. He just takes care of me so well, and you know, going from some some discounts on suspension, somewhat free suspension from factory connection to he's just making sure. I just pay to ship it to him. Don't even mm-hmm. pay to ship it back. Nothing like that at all. Yeah. Nah, it's pretty cool, man. Well, it's nice. anyway, anyway, plug, plug done. But uh, basically, we got that bike. We got your suspension in it already. All I'm saying is we can make this shit happen. We can, we can get Stank Dog and Jats Richo together. And I just don't know that there could be a better team in Supercross. No, I think I think we'd win from his results, and I think we'd win from my fan base over there. So I think it's a win-win combination. Yeah, I I'm here for it. Whatever I gotta do, whatever Sam's gotta do, we'll make that shit happen. We just need COVID whatever Sam, Sam's the boss. Sam Sam's our team manager here. So let's get yeah. him going over there on the Australia. Yeah, no, I'm pumped. So uh, man, I honestly don't even know where to start. Like you've got this insane cult following all over the world and you're one of the most cool laid-back dudes like yeah honestly don't even know where to start with this one uh but maybe we just take this this podcast straight from the top where'd you grow up how'd you get into bikes how the fuck did you end up the biggest lord on two wheels dude uh so born and raised in uh northern california actually born there and then uh from my father don and my mother jill my dad's a wild man, dude. He uh, yeah, okay. Your parents he's got a heart of gold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got a heart of gold, and he's wild. But just grew up in Northern California, and then uh, moved to Salem, Oregon, at a young age, and grew up and did most of my riding there, uh, indoor arena cross racing there, and just uh, that's why I think I did most of my professional careers arena cross racing and supercross racing, just because that's where most of my background growing up was from. And then at about seventh grade, moved back to Northern California. And to, to, to further on my racing and uh, riding and, you know, living up in Oregon, it always rained. You couldn't ride shit. So it was like, you got to go back to California and practice and get in the good weather. So that's where all the fast kids are. That's where the fast guys are. You got to go down there. So we moved down there, back back there, so let's say, and uh, took off from there. Just kept riding, riding, riding. We're here now. That's so sick. So what did your, what did your parents do? 
Oh, dude, they still have the same job now. My, my dad's 60, 61 years old and he's still a tree trimmer. He owns his own tree service business. And then my mom's a hairstylist and they just, they made it work. They struggled, but they made it work. Uh, helped me all the way until uh, I was 18. And I was still racing the intermediate class at the age of 18. And uh, my dad's like, well, I, you know, I can't, I can't really afford this anymore. So you probably should turn pro and I'll help you for the first year. And then you got to figure out a way to either go faster and get better sponsors that pay you or do something a little different that's going to make you some cash here on the side and you can uh, keep it going yourself, but uh, I can no longer afford it. So yeah, that's where, where we went from there was pretty much, uh, he led me all the way there though. You know, he's got a, got a heart of gold and he just paid for everything the whole way, the whole way. And then just changed it up, moved, went pro and went from there and struggled quite a bit, quite a bit from like the first pro pro racing. And uh, once we got on that two stroke man, that like it opened up a whole new perspective in my career. Cause actually let's, let's take it back a notch. Let's take it back, back a notch. In the intermediate class, I only rode a YZ 125 growing up. That's really? all we could afford were 125s. That's it. So like I grew up racing two strokes. That was all the way until my first pro race, I raced 125. So it was like, even in the 450 intermediate class, I was on the 125 and it was so just charge, 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 all you can. So that's why I think I'm a better 125 rider than I am a four stroke rider, any type of four stroke. I'm the same exact speed lap time wise on a 125 versus a 250F, same exact speed. Wow. And so going back then, dude, yeah. So going back then, it's just like I've been a 125 guy almost my whole entire life. And then so later on in my career, getting back on the 125, it like made me faster. It made me accept motocross again. It made me enjoy motocross again. And it just like started, kind of started my career at a late age of getting sponsors that paid you and you know, getting fans actually, you know, not just your, your homies that are your fans, you know, actually getting people that you don't know that want to come get your autograph and, you know, enjoy, enjoy your, your surroundings and uh, enjoy your personality and want to come over to your pit and hang out and get a picture with you. Like it's fucking awesome. Yeah, man. It's, it's, you've just created something for yourself and you're one of the OGs of doing it. I mean, I think a lot of guys are sort of doing it a lot of factory guys are trying to like step out of the box a little bit but i mean you almost just like didn't even have a chance to go cookie cutter and then go back like you've just only ever been able to be yourself and uh yeah i think that i mean dude it was 2016 that you and tom Janae did um two stankin i mean that's like fucking eight years ago dude and you know you look at that like you put that video series in 2021 and like you're cool and edgy you know what i mean like but you guys have been doing that shit yeah dude it's like it's so long ago and it seems so so like recent it's crazy to think about it eight years ago and you know there's still people t to this day that are still like you're gonna do another series you're gonna do another two stinking series like fuck they remember it like it was just yesterday and i'm like holy shit it, it, it was eight years ago but damn it it does feel like it was just yesterday and you know, Tom Jornet, I owe it to him and, and another guy, Mike Pfizer, he uh he kinda helped set the two stroke in, in the stepping stone for me and then, you know, Verb Moto and Tom Jornet, they took it off for me with the with the two stankin series and that was a that was a wild ride there. 
Yeah, I wish I was on that trip. <laughs> Dude, it was, it was so much fun. I, I think Tom learned a lot. Yes. Uh, learned to love me and learned to hate me. <laughs> the the cool thing like I was watching him last night um and it like I've known Tom since he was I actually don't even know like probably 18 or I'm I'm not even sure like when I would have met him but he was like young young um and it's funny man like I mean I've I've had some like text combos with um Tom this year like pretty much well pretty much every fucking day that they dropped a team fraud video I texted him like, damn, dude, like, you're absolutely killing it. And I really feel like the last couple of years with Team Farad, it's been like this breakout year for Tom. But, you know, you go back to those, the two stanking series, like, that's a perfect, uh, that's a perfect look at just how long you have to grind in moto to actually make it impact. And, you know, and, and the same can be said for you. The same can be said for me. I mean, I first got to America in 2010. And it's like, you know, there's people that are just now finding out like, oh, Gypsy Tales, like, oh, it's this podcast. And it's like, well, yeah, but it was Mm -hmm. built off, you know, like I bought my first camera in 08. And, you know, guys like Tom Janae, it's like, dude, yeah, Team Fried's killing it. But man, eight years of making video edits, you know, but just between two stanking and and what you're seeing with Team Fried in in 2021 like it's it's a cool story and i think that you know you can kind of when you really look back at how far everyone's come it's like this success that people are having now like it's built off just so many years of work just straight grinding grinding and grinding yeah so it's um yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool like that was a cool thing last last night to go back and watch all those videos and just because man for me tom janae is like the vibe of motocross like if we don't have tom janae in 2021 like what are you watching mo like what's the vibe like there's some there's some highlights like nbc highlights but as far as the vibe of motocross like he's the dude that's like kind of sets the tone i feel like oh 100 percent. like the the team fried chance at the podium, you know, like I feel like if Tom wasn't there, there would be no chance, you know, you know there, yeah, would, there, yeah. there would be, you know, for the riders here and there, but there would be no full on party down at, at the podium that happened because of team fried and Tom Jornet down there, like the full, the full fan podium down there and the chanting and the beer spraying and everything like that, that happened, but it, Tom Jornet and team fried took that to another level. Yeah, man, I, I totally agree. And I think it starts back, you know, like you got to go back to seeing what you guys were doing, you know, eight years, nearly 10 years ago to um, like, this has been a slow, slow movement. And um, yeah, I think you've been a pretty massive part of it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, dude, it's like eight years ago to be part of the pretty much the beginning of Tom's career and watch him grow and watch him expand and to where he is now, you know, went from probably making a couple hundred dollars a week from the videos to, I don't even know what he makes now, but I can only imagine he's doing great and doing well. And, you know, his videos are awesome. His publicity is outrageous. You know, it's, he's Tommy tenders, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love it. So when you, uh, when you said your dad's a wild man, so like, all right, you got the stank dog in his final form, the man that sits in that chair right now. 
that's there's a big part of that dude has got to come from from your dad so when you said that my dad's a wild man i'm like it fucking makes sense the math checks out (laughs) (laughs) what was he what was he like oh man like i think i'm wild but he was way more wild than me like some of the stories he told me like man from you know, getting into trouble as a kid to do a dumb shit as a as a teenager all the way up to, you know, as an adult now. Like, I've, I've seen him do dumb shit. I've seen him have the biggest heart there is, man. He just all around wild. He, he's a tree trimmer still to this day. Still, like, he'll climb. He's 61 years old. He still climbs the trees now and will, like, rope from tree to tree like he's fucking Tarzan. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're way too old to be doing that shit. And he, he just, I think he does it because he loves it. He, yeah, has, yeah. he has employees and guys that that work and climb and do everything for him but like the bigger the tree the more the more he is out there ready to get it and go after it god that man that that's so cool and i mean there's there's sort of something to be said too i think a lot of guys um you know that kind of do struggle financially to race and you know don't have the best equipment and kind of just do it like you really do have to develop a, a love for riding too right yeah i mean at the, at the same time you know it was the uh he he pressured it you know if if i didn't do good it was ah shit i gotta come back to the truck to an angry dad you know like he was he was that ultimate 50 50 dad it carried up all the way pretty much even He'll still, he'll still like tell me straight up, like, dude, you're riding like shit. What are you doing? Like you smoke too much weed or something? Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> he'll be like, he'll still like, dude, that, that line choice was stupid. Like what, what, what are you doing? That was way wrong, way wrong. Do I need to get out there and show you how to do it? And funny story, like I was on a 65 racing out at Albany MX park in, in uh, Albany, Oregon. And, uh, I wasn't hitting this corner correctly, this left-hand corner. And it was like a kind of like a powdery berm and I wasn't hitting it very good. And he's like, you want me to show you how to do it? And I was like, yeah, yeah, show me how to do it. And he (laughs) hopped on my little KTM 65, like he flipped his hat, turned it backwards so it wouldn't fly off. And I'm not kidding you, like he like grabbed gears all the way, like third gear wide open and just ripped this corner. And he's like, it was like perfect form, everything just ripped it, came back and like, he was shaking like this, hands me the bike. He's like, yeah, I don't want to do that again. So he, here you go. That's but he, he definitely showed me how to do it. <laughs> that is unreal. Did uh, did he have a background in riding? Like, how did you get into riding? No, he had he had no background of riding. He, um, he liked dirt bikes and motorcycles like that. Like, he, he would always, uh, it's a funny story, he... Uh, got caught stealing his brother's motorcycle one time when he was like 16 years old and uh you know got caught by his mother riding it out on the street she pulled up to him at a red light and got caught stealing the motorcycle but he never had like a dirt bike or anything like that <clears throat> but his whole, whole entire plan before I was born was to have a professional dirt bike rider son he loved dirt bikes he loved watching watching races his favorite dirt bike racer was Danny Magoo Chandler yes um, yeah. Yeah, he just loved him so much. And as soon as I was born, dude, he was just like, all right, dirt bike, dirt bike. That was like instantly very first thing was dirt bike, dirt bike. No shit. So when did you get your first bike? Uh, so 
uh, for my third, I was three years old and I got it for Christmas. I had just turned three and my birthday's in July. So I, July, then the, the following Christmas, I got my first dirt bike. It was a JR 50. Yeah. A little Suzuki. And yeah, <laughs> barely could ride a bicycle with, uh, my dad took the training wheels, took one training wheel off and I just ride it around with one training wheel on. So it kind of had some balance, not balance. And I yep. rode that around for like a couple of days and then Christmas came around and there's a JR 50 and my sister got a quad for, for Christmas. And then I have an older brother as well. And he got an XR 100 for Christmas. That is and a dumb Christmas. Funny, dude, dope Christmas. Funny, funny story. Like we had a, we had a fireplace and like, he like took like some snowboard boots or something and like put them in the fireplace, like in the ashes and like made footprints like Santa Claus walked out to the back door and put the bikes out in the back back door and left that from from Santa Claus you know and dude it was as a kid that was that was it was a rad feeling but uh all first week all I did was stare at the bike I was so scared to just really I wouldn't even sit on it I wouldn't even sit on it I just look at it like I wasn't wasn't pumped about it and my sister had to quad and I was jealous my sister had to quad and I was like Ugh. I think I think I want that and my dad's like what like nothing against quad riders now he's like that shit's gay dude like we, we, we don't ride we don't ride quads man like we ride dirt bikes like that's what we do and it's like motorcycles at at least like you're gonna ride dirt bikes and I was like yeah I want to ride the quad and so the first month of riding all I did was ride the quad and then one day my dad's like uh, all right I'm, I'm gonna sell the dirt bike and I was like no 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 don't sell the dirt bike don't sell the dirt bike He's like, yeah, yeah, you don't even ride it. Like, you've never even sat on it. We're selling the dirt bike. And I was like, no, no, I'll ride it. I'll ride it right now. I'll ride it right now. And he literally, like, just sat me on it and fired it up. And I took off in our field. We had, like, a little two-acre field next to our first house. And, dude, as soon as I got going on there, he, he kind of just, like, guided me a little bit and then let me go. And as soon as I went, I, I didn't stop until the tank ran out of gas. Wow, dude. That is epic, man. And you can fully remember that whole deal. Oh yeah, dude. I, I, I'm, I'm, I hate to brag a little bit, but I'm like very, very, very smart. A lot of people think that I'm not, not very smart, <laughs> but I'm very, very intelligent, street smart and book smart. Like, uh, graduated high school with 4.0, all, all ninth through 12th grade, Sick. all 4.0 student. Yeah, no. And then kind of learn the street smarts from my father, him being the little wild animal that he is, you know, just I'm all, all around. I feel like I'm pretty smart. That's dope. Do you, um, do you like reading stuff much now? Um, a, a little bit, not too much of a reader and more of a listener now. Like I like to like listen to podcasts, you know, like yours. I like to listen to Joe Rogan a lot. Um, yeah. you know, more like, honestly, I like listen to nature sounds. It's like more, more intriguing to me like not big big on reading um unless you know like i'm kind of not forced to but like sitting there at the doctor's office or on the yeah, airplane yeah. and there's yeah. you know really something like that I'll, I'll sit down and read you know long flight i'll sit down and read something that's right there in front of me but shoot last i think last book i read is a probably like 10 years ago it was a, a million little pieces yeah right what was that about yeah. uh, uh Dude, kind of gnarly. It's about a whole entire family, like based on their whole entire life of like the father beating the child and 
molesting the child and everything like going on about that whole entire life of living like that wow that's good that's good book yeah right yeah i I read quite a bit so any any uh like because i I find that what's your favorite book oh fuck i don't even know that'd be super hard like i'll probably because i'll probably favorite literature uh dude i like i read everything so I, i read probably like 35 books a year um and so i'll read like i started this year reading like maritime history so like uh captain cook i don't know if you've ever heard of him but he's like kind of the dude that pretty much like found everything in the south pacific um and i grew up in the like we got like a massive statue of that dude in my hometown and uh, he's always been kind of like vilified you know like because of first uh like first nation people and shit here and uh i just want i wanted to read i was like fuck uh, is this dude like was this dude that gnarly and um so i read like this 800 page book on his life it was fucking incredible um and then right now i'm reading a book uh it's called stealing fire and it's about like i guess like flow state and um they're calling it ecstasy in the book where like essentially you just kind of like have these out of body kind of flow state kind of experiences and the different way they do it i actually don't like it that much but i'm doing some research i guess um but yeah i read literally everything dude like i'll go from um like latest kind of bestseller fiction um stephen king stuff last year i read uh like science of the lambs the green mile like yeah because i I don't watch tv at all so i've kind of like i cut the tv thing out of my life and then just did the just that's the the best thing ever right there oh dude just especially through this pandemic like i did it before the pandemic but I'm so glad that I uh, did it and committed to it before the pandemic because it's just like, I mean, I went somewhere. Oh, I went to the Apple store. We bought a new computer for the studio. And uh, the guy's like, oh, have you got a mask? And it's just like, oh, are we still doing that? Like, I, I don't even know the laws around it because I'm, like, I'm just not fucking watching that shit. Yeah, like they need to quit pretending like when they go home, they're doing the same shit we're doing right here, you know, like guaranteed they're at the store right now with their mask and uh wanting you to wear it but when they go home that shit's off just like just like we are sitting right here right now you know they're they're just pretending so when you uh what what stuff did you like at school like if you got a 4.0 um so explain that for the australian audience because there'd probably be a lot of people that don't know what the fuck a 4.0 means oh that's (laughs) i forget about the australian grades what it what do you what is it over there it's not grades what would it be mate i don't i paid zero attention a eh? like i did i did not give a fuck <laughs> if i failed school like i was the worst eh? i was like i don't care about this so it, it's like straight a's it's like the best the best grades you could get and uh my favorite subject in school was math like i i forgot a little bit now but i'm still pretty good now like even like if the nephews or anything like that needed a needed a question i probably i probably got the answer for him that's dope dude there's a book i'll actually send it to you if you want to um I, i've been actually kind of getting into some mathematics stuff um because i'm i've sort of i've been reading some books about um i'm obsessed with like the human mind and and i guess like what the concept of ourself is like the voice that's in your head like what is that voice where does that come from and a lot of stuff about like free will do we have free will do we not have free will and then uh i found this guy he's fucking incredible man he's a um he's a scientist i mean he's got a bunch of degrees 
but uh, he re- he's basically trying to engineer human consciousness uh, as like a, an algorithm. Um, so I've kind of got led into this whole like computation. So now I'm actually reading some books about um, Alan Turing, the guy that invented the Turing machine, which is essentially like what laid the foundation for the computer. And then how uh, there's like applied mathematics and then there's like theoretical mathematics and then how that applies to um, this guy, Joshua Bach, is the guy, uh, this scientist that I've been doing a lot of research on. And, uh, and yeah, so he's then kind of, um, talking about computation and like the different languages and like how that explains like all the process. It's fucking fascinating. But so there's this, um, have you, have you ever seen much of like the, the Mandelbrot set, like the fractals and shit like that? Like how, have you ever looked into that? No, nothing like that. But man, your fucking knowledge is so unbelievable. You're 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 fucking smart, dude. Nah, I just fucking read a lot. I'm a dumb dude that tries to that, understand shit. Well, no, dude. That's 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 the big thing. Is reading creates knowledge, and that's mm. that's the big thing. And like in high school, I read a lot, but now now I don't. That's a that's a thing that I lack in. But man, your knowledge. Your knowledge is unbelievable, honestly. Dude, you need to... So this ca- this book that I just got is called Chaos. And apparently it's awesome and it's like a mathematics book. But uh, so have you have you done DMT before? No, never, but I've wanted to try. I never uh, have, but I've wanted to try. Same. So uh, there's... You know how... Have you ever heard people talk about like DMT experiences and shit? Yes. Yes, I have. So... So apparent, like, there's, like, the fractals. Like, people basically, they're like, all right, you fucking smoke this DMT, and then you just enter this world that's, like, made of fractals and geometry, right? And so the craziest shit is, is that these, all of these, like, scientists, uh, they talk about what reality actually looks like because we don't see reality, like, one-to-one. Basically, like, it's a, this internal, like, a, a mental simulation of, like, what the outside world looks like. And, uh, and basically like all these mathema- uh, mathematicians and, and like uh, physicists and shit, they're like the base level of reality. Like we're probably, our universe is probably some kind of fractal, which is what this, uh, the Mandelbrot, I can't remember the dude's name, but uh, his first name, but this mathematician Mandelbrot, he like made this equation that produced these insane fractals and you can just zoom into them for infinity. So like you can just zoom and the fractals just keep a pit, like it just keeps going. So essentially they're saying like, that's probably what reality actually looks like. So, but then you hear people that say, they talk about DMT and they're like, it's just fractals. Like you just, so I'm just like, oh fuck. So that's the shit that (laughs) is fucking frothing me out. So if you like mathematics, I'm going to send you this book and you should fucking audio book this shit. Yeah, I will audio book it for sure. Make sure you send it to me, man. Some of, some of the stories I've heard of just like same thing like you're saying of just like wild numbers flying and weird shapes of like almost like math mathematic shapes of just weird numbers and everything flying at them like almost like they're going through the universe and then like the carpet's like growing over them and weird shit like yeah. that. Just <laughs> it's 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 interesting and it's gonna it's gonna be a fun time the time I try it for sure. Yeah, well, that's been one of those things where I've honestly just been scared of it. Like, I've been, I've had heaps of opportunities. I've had heaps of people that have been like, hey, I got DMT, I got friends that, like, a lot of friends that have done it. 
I'm like, fuck, man, I'm kind of scared, eh? And then uh, as soon as I've started, like, doing all this reading and shit, and it's, I'm like, oh, that's just probably what reality looks like. Like, maybe there's nothing to be that scared of, you know? Um, but, I mean, to, to your point about, like, you know, with, like, reading and shit like that, I mean, I feel at peace when I understand something, even if it's bad. Like, even if it's something that isn't the outcome that I want or if it's, you know, something I wish I could change. If I understand something and I feel like, okay, that's the truth. Like, even if I don't like it, I need to accept that that's true. That, to me, that's why I read. Because it's like, I would just want to understand shit because at least if I don't like it, if I understand it, I can just accept it and move on. Yep, you know what, you know what's going on in the world, you know. You know, if it's going to kill you, it's not going to kill you. If uh, you're going to be alive tomorrow, you know, if what you're reading is right or wrong, it doesn't matter. You know, you know in your heart and you know in your soul, like, oh, fuck, okay, I'm going to accept it. It yeah. is what it is. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and that's honestly my favorite saying, it is what it is. Yep, one of mine too, like, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's sick I was thinking uh, to go back to you riding that that bike for the first time um, I was on the collective experience podcast the other day and we were talking about it um, and we were talking about like riding and giving a bike to a kid like what else can you give to a kid like that that experience that you explained of being three years old and riding a, a bike on your two acre property until it ran out of fuel what else can you give a kid that can give a three-year-old that kind of power and that kind of freedom? Man, to be honest, nowadays, I think an iPad. <laughs> other, other than that, <laughs> no, nothing. Like, <laughs> like, the feeling I get from riding my dirt bike, even then, like, I can remember after that getting, getting a bicycle, you know? Like, yeah, I, I rode my bicycle a lot too, but like, it wasn't as cool as, as my dirt bike. Like, you know, I back in back in as a Grom in elementary school, we we had show and tell. Like, I didn't want to bring any any of my cool stuff that I got from birthdays or anything like that. Like, I wanted to bring my dirt bike to school in my motocross gear to show and tell that. Like, show how fucking cool this stuff is. Like, like everyone should be doing this. Like, put the video games down. Like, quit bringing your Barbies to show and tell and. I mean, not not bagging on any singers because there were some talented singers back in the back in the show and tell days, but <laughs> everyone, let's ride fucking dirt bikes, man. This shit is awesome. This is this is awesome, and the feeling, just like I I see it from even my my little nephew, my sister's kids, like he absolutely hates dirt bikes, absolutely hates them, like doesn't want anything to do with them. He's all iPad kid, right yeah. and. Like one day, one day I got him to sit on the front of the tank of, the, of my XR70 and for two laps, he literally like had the biggest smile on his face and was like, oh yeah, uncle, I love this. I want to ride. I want to ride. I love this. I love this. And then like I caught a little bit of air with him and as soon as he hit the ground, like it didn't, was nothing, nothing serious, like a light switch. Get me off of this thing this is dumb, I wanna go back inside, this is stupid. And I'm like, dude, like I just saw the biggest smile on your face, you were having the, the most fun I've ever seen you have, like ever, I've never seen you smile like at a video game like that, I've always seen you like, ah, oh, this shit sucks, bam, I'm losing, like, 
get yeah, angry yeah. at it and slam the slam it on the ground, you know, because he can't beat the the boss or whatever, you know. And it's like, dude, you were just smiling the entire two laps we just did. Like, that's the ultimate thrill, like there. And that that was that came from a fucking dirt bike, dude. Like, yeah, trigger that, flip that. Like, the ultimate thrill is a dirt bike. I I wonder if uh, those little E fifties are gonna change shit. Because, I mean, that was the thing, like, for us, you couldn't ride in the backyard because he had neighbors, and it's like, it's just the noise thing has just fucked us forever. But I wonder what's going to happen when, you know, you, you like, I, I, I want to buy an Alta. Like, I just want to get one just to say that I got an electric bike, and so I can actually do some, yeah, just go, literally go ride wherever. Because I, I, I think that there's going to be a pretty crazy revolution in dirt bikes coming um, when the whole e-bike thing is just like really widely adopted. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, like just the, the KTM and the Husky and the gas gas E50 right now that came out, you know, just the, them riding it in supercross was like, that was so cool. Not hearing the noise and them actually getting to hear the fans, you know, like drastically yeah. getting to hear the fans cheer for them and shit like that. And then, you know, seeing a step up Josh Hill and, Kobe Raha and stuff like that. They're out riding Altas in the skate parks and, you know, and like they could probably be there for a couple hours, you know, before someone yeah. saw them and reported them, you know, like it'd take, it'd take seeing you to, to get the yeah. cops attention riding an Alta at the, at the skate park, you know, like the dirt bike, you're there for 30 seconds and you're not even making it to the skate, to the skate park forbid, let's say, you know, like the cops yeah. are already on your tail because you rode it out of the, out of the driveway five feet, you know, it's like, the the e-bike is going to make a big big step in the in the, in the right direction for us motocross community and and yeah. just in the kids in general you know like the the world's coming to what it is everyone's getting pickier no one's liking noise no one wants sound you know yeah. and it's like for example i've been staying at the state of ethos compound and they're yeah. being fined a thousand dollars a month for the for their track that they have on their property from the hoa you know and it's like so okay what if we all had e-bikes and there was no noise could we ride you know yeah. you know th that's not sound that's that's all they're being fined for is a is a sound sound ordinance so yeah. it's like okay what if we all had e-bikes every single one of us a 65 e-bike or a super mini e-bike you know something along those sides like we need we need that because it's it's going to come down to that eventually where it is too much noise it is too much ruckus for everyone and yeah it is, it is at first I didn't like it I didn't like it at first you know because heart and heart and soul of noise yeah, for the motocross that. but then like <laughs> you know you <laughs> want to but then after riding one and everything like that I'm like dude it's the same thing it's literally yeah. the same thing when you're riding it just just no noise it's the same thing you but you can do more stuff with with neighbors around have, have you rode many e-bikes like have you done a variety of them and, and seen what's out there because I haven't even ever rode one yeah, so I've done the the Alta. I've done the Alta dirt bike. Good? I've done the Alta Supermoto. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was. It, it's a little heavy, but I mean, it's it's an electric vehicle. You know, it's going to be heavy. Um, it didn't come with the greatest of suspension, but you could have made it better with better suspension. Um, but other than that, it was a great bike. You know, like the speed was awesome. It felt just similar to a two fifty F. Just very, very quiet. It was weird at first when I first wrote it. I wrote it at uh, Portland International Raceway up in Portland, Oregon. And it's like more of a stadium style track. So like kind of super crossy jumps and stuff like that. And it, it felt nice. It like, even though it being a little, little heavier in the, in the front, it kind of dipped the front end down a little bit, but like 
kind of you know being the being the cool guy that's the style dip the front end down and the bike that bike kind of helped you do it yeah that's sick yeah i mean i i kind of i saw aj catanzaro got one um and he's been doing some stuff on it and yeah i was like man i kind of i don't know i kind of want to be a part of just like trying to make that shit happen you know because i feel like you got to adopt the technology for the technology to work like at some point you just got to pony up and just like kind of get in the game with it to like i guess start the more consumer momentum for it kind of like with teslas you know what i mean like when i was in america there was no one driving teslas for the you know oh they were out like there was heaps of them were were out but just wasn't adopted i feel like it's kind of one of those things where maybe it's more people have got to sort of adopt them and make these one-off events and just start to get a little bit of momentum but it's such a bummer that alta went out of business dude yeah it, it is and all, honestly all it takes is for you just just to ride one like that's mm. for example for me like i i didn't ride one when i didn't when i wasn't a fan of it as soon as i rode it I, it opened my eyes drastically i was like dude yeah this is the future. This is what we need. This is what our sport sport needs. And uh, another bike that I rode that's not so, so moto, but I rode the Q-Berg, the bike that Josh Hill rides yes. around and his yep. brother Justin. Yep. Yeah. And like we, uh, me and me and my manager, Hayden, and my girlfriend, Shawnee, we, uh, we went up there and got to actually go test and ride those bikes, uh, every single one he makes. And dude, those are, those are badass too. Like you can ride there's one of them. I forget which model it is exactly, but that like you can ride it on a on a supercross track. You can't do really all the big shit, but dude, yeah, like like Josh Hill, prime example, dude. He like rides his whole entire supercross track pretty much at his house. Does jumps, does on offs, you know, like, and they're fast, they're reliable, and that that was a the Kuberg was on another level too, in my opinion. Like you know, like even just city riding, you can ride them on the street in in the the counties you're in, like from work you know point a to point b they're silent we could go on mountain bike trails that or even walking trails that some people don't like you know the mountain bikes or dirt bikes whatever it's like dude it's, the Kuberg was awesome too and that's gonna open up people's eyes too like that when they come around more and josh hills josh hills helping them i feel like develop a lot a lot of stuff and like yeah. expanding the brand and getting them into moto more and once a few moto guys get their hands on them I feel like the it's that's what everyone's gonna push is like electric, electric, yeah. electric. That's that's what our sport needs for sure. It was funny. I was uh, when I did it was oh man probably like 2017. I did the um, the Straight Rhythm podcast and we were talking uh, with Kenny on there and Kenny. I was saying to him, I like literally made a bet with him on the, on the podcast. I think I was like, before you retire, you'll be racing an electric bike in supercross. I was probably a little bit off on my prediction. It probably won't happen before he retires. Um, but I mean, at some point you'd think that it has to go that way, right? Yeah, I, I think so, dude. I mean, before Kenny retires, no, probably not, (laughs) but, (laughs) but uh, Man, maybe, maybe in twenty years, maybe. Nah, I reckon it'll come every, soon, every, man. I I would like to think so. I would like to think so, but I feel like, like why? Why didn't Harley buy out Alta? Like why? Yeah. I why think they did they did. do it and then do 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 nothing with it? Like you know, I feel like that. In my mind, I feel like they were 
they were getting too advanced. They were finding out too much stuff, you know, and so a bigger company came in and kind of shut it down. Or maybe they took it and took their knowledge and created their own electric, which yeah. they do have an electric Harley now. Um, oh, do they? You know, maybe sh- they, yeah, that seems it, it like, is pretty that badass. Seems like, that seems like getting a fucking hooker for a hug. Yeah, exa- exactly my point. Like, you know, like <laughs> they, they're, they're stealing knowledge or they're, or they're wanting to come out of, wanting them out of business for a reason. You know, like that's, that's my opinion behind it. Like we may never know, but what do you think? A, what do you think a supercross, like an electric supercross race would be like? Because, you know, you, you can look at uh, that E series as like an E series for, uh, it's like a formula three type deal, you know, where they've got like all electric cars and it's like the appeal of you go to a moto gp or a formula one race and it's like like you feel it you know like it's like a it's like a full body experience of feeling it and i mean it's even the same smell the race fuel yeah yeah big time and like if you're on the floor of a supercross race and when you when you feel like dude first practice at a at a supercross especially in like a closed stadium like phoenix or something and they've got the they got like the roof on and the echo and then you're down on the floor first practice and you just hear like the first bikes hit and it's always justin brayton that does like the first three in a rhythm section you know they're like hot and you're just like uh, yeah exactly that shit's gnarly dude uh uh-huh. as soon as they fire him up on the line it's just like you're like oh yeah like you see like that noise like you're saying it everyone's like, nah, 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 fucking revving them up just it's, it gets you excited just even the noise you know it, it would it would be different just like what do you hear nothing just ever yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just not, not even that on the line you know because like you're just going to turn it on and sit there silent like not even That's do the true, old huh? 50 parent and like clean it out you know like you're not going to clear <laughs> it out <laughs> like you're just going to sit there turn it on you're just you're literally going to hear the Hear the, or not even hear the card go, side, card go sideways, but just like the fireworks or whatever on the side going off. You may not even hear the bikes because the fireworks are still out on the on the on the starting line. You know, you'd be literally able to hear the be, monster chick fart. Yeah, yeah, you could. What's that smell like? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it it would be yeah, there'd be so much would be lost and like the sound and stuff like that. And I mean. Maybe we never need to go to electric bikes in the stadiums, um, you know, because it's like a sanctioned event or whatever. Like, uh, but then you got to think for them to sell those bikes, like for whatever company that's going to invest the millions of dollars that it takes to develop a bike that you could race at Supercross as an e-bike. Um, you're, yeah, you're going to want like the best guys in the world promoting those vehicles. Yeah, 100%. Like, you're going to want Ken Roxon riding your bike. You're going to want Adam Sensorillo riding your bike. And it's like, will those guys take the step off of the equipment that they've been riding their whole entire life and, you know, get get used to this thing? Or, you know, money talks, obviously, but will, will they be willing to take the step in that direction of getting off of something they've ridden for 30 years, you know, when it yeah. comes to that time of a team? Yeah, well, you got to think too, like, there's a lot less shit that can go wrong on an e-bike, really. Like, there's way less moving parts, no combustion. Like, it actually, as I think about it right now, it's probably safer. 
oh, 100% safer. Like, obviously, there's there's no motor for it to blow up. Grenade, hand grenade, send valves here, send the crank <laughs> through the cases, what, whatever it is. We don't even shift, you know? Like, it's yeah. all or nothing. So, like, no transmission, nothing like that. You're not you're not putting oil in your bike. You know, you're not, you're not buying gas, no liquids, maybe just the battery acid inside the battery. About that, that's about it. Just, just go less moving parts. Yeah. Like you're saying safer, just put the, I mean, you can feel it dying. It's not like, it's not like it just like shuts off on you. Like a dirt bike does when it locks up, you know, the battery just when it's dying, it slows down, you know, you can feel mm. it. So you could safely make, okay, my battery's dying. Let's safely exit the track now. And go charge it up you know like your bike blows up sometimes it just fucking hand grenades on a lip and yeah there you go so yeah, like you're saying well, it could be safer 100 percent. yeah and i mean uh think about even too like the I've, this is the most thought i've ever put into this by the way so i'm just like fucking shooting off the hip but think about like data and shit even you know like if you've got a supercross track and then because uh jack miller's a real good friend of ours um and obviously he's like factory ducati so we talk to him a lot about the bikes and the setups and dude some of the shit that's on those moto gp bikes is fucking out of control and like they've got different data for different sections of the track and then they're like letting the engine have different levels like can you imagine you got like a data tech dude at HRC and you got like a whoop section and then this like real long skatey flat turn around before a rhythm section. It's like as soon as you hit that thing, it's like the motor's just getting, you know, 60% power. Yeah, let your RPMs got, control up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's how the MotoGP like stuff He's all works. controlling like, it. Imagine if we fucking get to that level. I mean, that it it could be safer safer in that way too you know like okay let's limit let's limit the bike here so he doesn't come come into this section wide open you know like it's he's making a mistake because he has too much throttle here like let's lower the rpms of the bike here and let's retard the system a little bit here and then raise it up here like it could it could take it to a whole nother level yeah that, that'd be a weird world to live in but i just definitely think that you miss something without the noise but i wonder like every bike's got like a jbl speaker on it <laughs> it's just like whoa yeah <laughs> you've got to just like pick your choice the, your brand yeah 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 you can have like i'm gonna run a yz426 down today <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could get, it could get weird who knows where the fuck that'll go yeah, bust the PW80 oil injected sound over the <laughs> over the JBL speaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be fucking funny. Um, so when when you uh, you have this first experience and you ride around for the, in your two acres and you run that thing out of fuel, was that just it from there? It was over. Oh, dude, over every day. That's all I wanted to do was ride the dirt bike every day. It was from from getting home from school till till dark time you know and then i got 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 in the very first race on the jr50 and we went and raced my very first race was an arena cross race in salem morgan and do we went there lined up and i'm looking over and everyone's on these these 50s that are about like 10 inches taller than mine and they're all orange and got cobras yellow cobras and shit like that and i'm on this little suzuki jr50 i'm like kind of thinking like what what are we doing here like not at the time not knowing anything about it you know then 
like just taking off and I can remember everyone's in the first corner and I'm only halfway down the straightaway and I'm like, oh shit, like this is, <laughs> we're getting into it here. Like, and then I remember right after that, the very first race, that was, it was probably Saturday night and then that, mo- that next Monday, that bike was gone and then the Wednesday, we had a KTM 50. He was like, my dad was like, nah, you're not, you're not being the last one at the first corner, your very first race. Not the second race. It ain't happening this time. And so we, 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 we learned our very first race that you got to have race bike to race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, there's definitely something to be said for being that guy, though, on the start line that's got, like, the slowest bike and uh, just fucking making, making that shit work. Like, my brother... The first bike we, like the first race bike we had was a TTR 125 that <laughs> we had to share. And uh, it was pretty fucking dope actually watching my brother like rail that shit around, you know, like you'd have kids on all like the, the 80s and shit and you just got Maddie down the star trade <laughs> on this TTR. He actually like, I think he got Beat them, their dads big. are over there pulling their hair out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it actually, like, kind of helped his skill level, but you, you definitely can't be serious when you're fucking running that shit. No, no, but at the same time, what, you run what you brung, and if that's all you got, you're fucking loving it, and, and you're racing, and you're you're pissing the other dads off, like, same thing <laughs> with the 125 when I'm racing out there on the against them on the 250, like, when I beat, the, beat those kids that are on 250S, like, I've seen it, I've seen kids' careers end in one year because they... They got beat by a 125, and they're on a 250F. <laughs> the stank dog, the heartbreaker. <laughs> the career breaker of, of the future and upcoming of our sport. That is pretty funny. Like You're like the fucking gatekeeper. It's like, oh, you think you can be pro? All right, take your race 250F and try beat stank dog. And if you can't do it, you can't be pro. You can't sit here anymore. Yeah, it's like the Sean Hamlin and Michael Essie. <laughs> when Michael Essie came in, wanted to be the big dog. Sean Hamlin's like, nah, nah, I, I'll show you a thing or two. <laughs> That's fucking so good. When you when you were a kid, did you have like the, I want to get better, I want to get better, I want to get better, or was it just like you were the kind of guy that just liked to ride? Yeah, it was mostly just just riding. Like every, that's, I just loved riding. It wasn't like, okay, in, in my mind, it wasn't like, okay, we're going riding four times a week because he wants me to be professional and, and make a career out of it. It was, okay, my son likes doing this. It's keeping him out of trouble. And he, he's asking me to go, so let's, let's actually go and, go and do it because he likes doing it. So like it was never... Like okay, I want I want to go and I want to win this race. It was, oh can can we go and race because I have fun riding my dirt bike and hanging out at the track and hanging out with mm. my friends at the track. Like, you know, I didn't I didn't really get along with most people at school, normal kids at school. Like, I didn't want to go home and like invite the kids over from school over. You know, like I wanted to invite my moto kids over, my moto friends over, go to the track after school and you know go ride, go hang out. Like, it wasn't to wasn't to better myself it was just to I just enjoyed it so much like I wasn't like let's go faster let's go faster like we need to train we need to go get coaching you know we we need to go to one of these motocross training facilities like that was never never crossed our mind at all like it wasn't 
wasn't in the in the cards like that. It was in my dad's head. Yes, it was like that's what he wanted was motocross racer. Like let's fucking go. Let's let's do everything we can. But it was for my sake. It was like just fun, just having mm. fun, hanging out with my friends, riding, and like that's kind of way the still way I take it now. Like I've never like wanted to like go do training schools or anything like that to better myself like yeah I do like learning and stuff like that and progressing but it was never like okay let's be hard on yourself and let's yeah let's learn this like let's force yourself to learn this like I never like you know never dedicated a full day of practicing starts or anything like that Mm. or never like let's just do corners let's only practice on corners and shit like that you know it's like let's just go out let's just go ride go ride your motos go ride 20 minute motos and come off drink your water Gatorade and Let's go back out and ride. Yeah, man, that's so cool. And I mean, it'd be so easy to get caught in the trap of just like wanting to get better and better and better. But I mean, there's definitely like a point of diminishing returns. Like you would know pros that like don't even really like riding their dirt bike anymore. They're fast as fuck and they've probably got a fuck ton of money. But as a in terms of do they enjoy riding do they still love their bike if they didn't have a race to do next weekend would they go ride and the answer for a lot of people is 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 no um would you did you ever get kind of sucked into that mentality at all where you kind of thought that's what you needed to do or did you just always have that conviction of like i ain't gonna ruin my love for dirt bikes for a paycheck or for a factory ride or for anything like that yeah, it was just, I, I took it as always be myself, you know, like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't train as fully and as much as I should have. Like I just, because of, I just really enjoyed the racing and the riding as who I was and I accepted it for my skill level. Like I didn't want to put that pressure and take that enjoyment out of riding the dirt bike, you know, like, like you're saying some of these guys now no names, but I'm sure some of them fucking wish they don't even own a dirt bike in their garage now you know like they have kids now that are growing up and i guarantee you they don't even they hope their kids don't even ride dirt bikes you know like that's how much they hate it because they trained their fucking ass off you know they they dedicated their entire life to being the best on dirt bike racing and it makes them despise of it you know it's like almost like you know your 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 father yells at you so much and kicks your ass so much you're gonna learn to hate him right you know motocross it you put so much of your heart and your effort into it. Yeah, it rewards you a lot. But at the same time, you're like, I've been doing this my whole fucking life. I hate it. I hate it now. Like, fuck dirt bikes. Fuck all this. Let's go be normal. You know, mm. it's like, do they really want to be like that? Absolutely not. You know, because it's like they love dirt bikes so much at one point that at it one made point, them do yeah, that. It, yeah, you know? yeah. At one point, they love dirt bikes so fucking much that it drove them to do that. You know, yeah. so it's like, I never thought about making myself go that far of like, don't pound yourself into the ground and make yourself not liking something that you love so much. And was that a conscious decision that you made at some point? Like, did you have this realization and go like, yeah, fuck that. I ain't doing that. Or is it just one of those things where like, you just couldn't do it any other way. Like you just were that committed to being yourself. Dude. Yeah. Just, you keep it real with yourself. You, you know, like, you go to races and you 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 lose to riders that you know you've lost to your whole entire self your whole entire career or anything like that or even losing to him at a young age you know like i learned to accept like yeah he's faster than me yeah he's a better rider than me 
I don't give a shit. Like I'm not going to kick, kick myself in the ass and, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to go train harder to be better than him. Like, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm a realist, like kudos for you. You know, like I definitely wouldn't even talk shit about some of that, you know, like that's a little bit better than me. You know, like I, I, if I got a little bit better start, I could have fucking smoked you, you know, like something like that. Like, nope, like good for you. You beat me. That's awesome. Like you're just a little better man than I am today. So like, I think it was, I, I learned on an 85, you know, that's when kind of took racing seriously. And I learned like, don't, don't beat yourself up over it. You know, like it's, it's not the end of the world and you got to accept losing because we're all not going to win. We're all not going to win every race. And if you don't accept losing, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of sad to say that, that you have to accept losing, you know, cause like, you know, no one wants to lose and no one wants to, to be around a loser, you know, but like you have to accept it, you know? And, it, and if I feel like if you accept it, it makes you a better person because you're going to go out there, you know, Hey, this, this dude potentially can beat me. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, I'm not going to let it ruin my riding because I'm out here riding my dirt bike. Like, that's why we're here is because we're riding dirt bikes. He's just yeah. a little bit better than me. Amen, dude. Who were the kids on 80s that were kicking your ass at that time? That are around oh, now? Oh, dude, like... Oh, that are around now. Um, like, so, like, Because were locally, you doing, like, Loretta's and shit? Um, yeah, I did do Loretta's a few times and, like, that... So like my big year in Loretta's is super mini. I got eighth overall. And yeah. I think who won it that year was Justin Barsha. I yeah, believe. Right. Um, he can you know, ride. Like, that's how much I, he can ride, but that's like how much I could care less. Like I didn't even like everyone top 10 gets to go and up and select their plaque, you know, like gets the top 10 overall for every class. They do like an award ceremony for it. We weren't even worried about it. Like we just drove home, like didn't even pretty much know about it. We were just like, oh, fuck it they'll send us the trophy like it is it is what it is that's it i mean that's something to be said though to have that kind of attitude like you've saved yourself a lot of needless suffering in your life by having the attitude that you do <laughs> yeah and like i just you know do something different like you don't have to be the fastest you don't have to have the most skill but if you can do something different along the lines of being different and stand out, you can make a career at the dirt bike world and not have to kill yourself with training. You know, mm. like Tyler Berriman, for example, like he is a free rider right now and that's, he is making an awesome career for himself and making a killing at it, you know, like, and he was a racer at one point and, mm. you know, I'm sure he was probably getting burnt out. I'm not, not going to speak for him, but I'm sure like racing and growing up racing, like, it probably burnt him out a little bit and like took a little break and okay, let's have fun at this and let's, let's go free ride. And like he turned it into him and Axel mm. Hodges kind of turned free riding into what it is in my opinion and Twitch obviously OG, but just like those, those two dudes, they just kind of opened it up and free riding and made me realize that you don't have to be a motocross racer, a supercross racer or a freestyle racer to get mm. paid on your dirt bike or some, any other type of racing like enduro cross or something like that. You, you can ride your dirt bike, you know, just mm. stand out, stand out in other ways, you know, like some whip good, some don't whip good. Some do this, some do that, you know, it's just like, even if you're a motocross racer, you can do something different. You can, you can make a living at it. And so where did this mentality come from? Like who cultivated this, level of insight in your life because like for you to say that 
you had this kind of thought on an 80 like what are you 12 13 14 when you're on an 80 that's young to be thinking like this. yeah yeah like i don't know it's just more or less like one of my one of my friends back in the day i heard his dad always tell him he he would he wasn't a very good racer and he'd always pat him on the back and he'd tell him somebody's got to come in last <laughs> that was <laughs> and, you know me, and i was bro. like <laughs> <laughs> like how how do you take that like do you take that as an insult or like as in like do I get pissed and go out there and race as hard as I can and potentially hurt myself or do I okay my dad's being serious and like he's okay with me getting last and he just wants me to go out there and have fun you know and my dad was the go out there and fucking win you know like you go out there and you win you try your hardest every time and you win you 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 crashed trying to win, you know, and mm. I got yelled at like if I didn't win. So like when I heard on the 85 days, when I heard my friend's dad tell him that, I was like, you know what? It, you know, it's, he's fucking excited that he's out here racing and he's coming in last, you know, like he's, he's spending the same amount of money as my father is, you know, and he's, he's out here having a blast with a big old smile on his face and he's getting last, you know? And I'm like, Shit, he he was serious when he told his son, "It's okay, somebody's got to come in last." Like, fuck yeah, like he's out here riding his dirt bike, he's having fun. So at that age, I was like, dude, it, it's it's not all about winning. Like you don't you don't have to win. Just enjoy riding your dirt bike and don't listen to what your father's always saying all the time <laughs> of win, win, win. Take this shit seriously. Like we're we're here because we're riding dirt bikes and because we enjoyed it. You know, don't. Yeah. Don't fucking burn yourself out. And that's what I tried to tell myself, even at that age, like even doing anything like riding bicycles. I got into riding bicycles around 16, 17 years of age. And it's like, I got pretty good on a bicycle. And I was like, dude, you're, you're kind of riding every day. You're going to burn yourself out. Let's not do that. So then I'd take mm -hmm. it easy on that. And just now I still enjoy riding bicycles every once in a while. You know, like I, I'm sure like if I got super good on it, got hurt on a bicycle, eventually I'd be like, oh, fuck this. I'm so sick of this. Yeah, like, why yeah. did I even try riding a bicycle in the first place? Like, I never, I never should have done this. Like, if I would just, okay, let's pump the brakes. Let's have fun. Let's enjoy it. Live to ride a bicycle another day. Yeah, yeah. And so how did you keep the relationship cool with your old boy? Like, did you, was it just kind of like water off a duck's back and like he'd say that shit and like, fucking got to win got to do it and then but you were just like okay cool dad i appreciate it and then like just kind of not do it and then like did that ever create any like bad vibes between you and your dad or was it just like one of those things where like he could say what he wanted and then you did what you wanted and everyone was chill yeah okay funny funny fucking story so um, we were doing it was a danny magoo chandler invitational race in in southern california and i was on a ktm 65 and my aunt was there my dad my dad's sister and i i came off it was just practice came off and i must not been i don't i think i wasn't doing this jump or something like that and he, i came off and he was screaming at me and screaming and screaming and then that was the end of it that day and then the very next day i'm at my aunt's house she's kind of babysitting me and and she's like jared you know i seen your father yelling at you like that and he's like it's kind of how our mom was to kind of yell at us all the time like that, you know, like kind of in our face and like tried to intimidate, you know, like that. He's like, she's, you know, you know, you know what I did? And this is what I want you to do. Every time he's yelling and screaming at you, picture him buck naked 
yelling at you and screaming at you. And I was like, looked at my aunt and I'm like, she's telling me this, I'm like probably like nine, eight, eight, nine years old. And I'm like, huh? And she's like, I'm serious. Every time he's yelling and screaming at you in your face, you picture him buck naked. So still to this day, like I haven't even told my father this, but still to this day, like even if he's in an argument with me right now, I picture him buck naked in front of me. As weird as it sounds, like see, like look, just like imagine your father's yelling at you, and you're just sitting there in your head as a, as a little kid, and you're just seeing his thing swing, you know, and you're just like sitting there, little eleven year old, and you're just like he's like motherfucker you better win this goddamn race and you're just like dick swinging around <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's literally that's that. every time he yells at me i still picture that like, and that, that and that shit like just got you through you just didn't really care like you were able <laughs> Dude, to just brush it off d- yeah ab- absolutely you know like eh, eh, brush it i'm pretty good at brushing pretty much everything off and like that's because of him literally yeah because of him like yeah just he he's he's hard on you so it's he you have to brush it off with him man it's fucking such a dope skill though to have in life like uh talking about books uh, i read this book uh, a few months ago called the four agreements um and it's like this old toltic book of wisdom so like the old it's like the mexican version of like buddhas you know what i mean um and like they wrote they literally it was just like these four agreements that you make and one of them is uh is don't take it personal and it's like there's you know this whole section of this book is basically outlining like how it doesn't make sense to take anything uh personally as a you know take it on board and like really fucking you know feel pain over that shit and it's so fucking true man and like when you're a kid and you've got a dad that's young like and obviously your dad loves you so much like to yell and yeah, to be exactly. that pat, like that comes from a plate like that's just his way of communicating you know it's like the dude obviously yep. fucking loves you if he wants you to be that good at something and uh so it's like but to take that on board and take it personally and to like feel any kind of pain over like that being the way that your dad expresses love like that's gonna kind of fuck you up um in the future but if you can learn like you said to just let that shit like water off a duck's back you know and just not take it personally and it's kind of served you well in your life to like have that practice of (laughs) someone doing that shit to you (laughs) now you know i'm sure like you're a fucking pretty happy dude like shit just doesn't bug you that much yeah 100 percent. like me and my father we get we get along great you know yeah we still butt heads he still yells at me i i'll yell at him every once in a while you know like but like you're saying like it's it's no skin off my back like don't at the end of the day like right or wrong someone else is going to have a different opinion and someone else is going to have a different opinion of that opinion you know it's like yeah yeah we're all assholes, <laughs> you know, like we all breathe air, like we're all right, we're all wrong, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel you. So when uh, when did you get to the point where you thought you could kind of make a career out of racing? Because, I mean, it sounds like you were getting waxed by people and you still had this belief that you were going to like did you think you were going to make a career out of racing was it like a goal that you had or like what was that period like where you kind of got into those senior ranks and and made shit happen yeah it was like never a never a goal to to make a living but to 
eventually become a supercross racer and motocross racer yes like once i got good enough and realized okay yeah you you can you can make a few dollars at this and you know you can get sponsors and shit like that like it's awesome and that was like kind of around like 17 18 years old i got a few sponsors here and there that would take me to the amateur races and just realizing okay there's people even though i'm not winning you know i'm maybe a top 10 guy but there's still people that have faith in me you know like they may not be the best sponsors, but they're, they're still helping me out. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, there, there's people that have faith in me. Like, let's, let's go, let's go have some fun. You know, like let's go try to race professionally for a little bit. And then when I did like took the first year, like I think I it was 2010. I think I rode East coast lights and I made every single night show my very first year, but like the very first supercross track I ever rode in my life was a week before the series started and Whoa. like you know i had no yeah no 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 experience on supercross at all but like the guy was like hey you want to turn professional and race supercross and like i'll fund it for you and like let's just go racing so i was like okay like i have no expectations for myself i don't know how i'm gonna do i ended up qualifying for every one every nash or every every night show in supercross so just like from there on out it's like every okay, let's have better goals. Let's just not, not, not overdo the goals, but like, let's just set little stepping mm. stones. Let's next year, let's try to make a main event, even just one main event. Even if it's just one, just make, let's make one. Then for next year, let's further it on from that. And I just kind of set little goals in my head from there on out. Just like, let's keep doing that. And there is, you know, sponsors came and they went, but there was always someone there that just believed in me a little bit financially, you know, mm. just like here, let's go here, let's go here, let's go here, let's do this. Whether it was motocross, supercross, arena cross, something like that, it was kind of the first three years where people believing in me and I was like, oh shit, you know, like they don't give a fuck how I do either. Like they're cool with me making the night shows and they still want to pay the bill. Like, yeah, I'm not making money at it, but I'm still getting to do what I love, you know, like. Yeah. yeah, am I am I not am I not paying my bills at home? Fuck no, but you know, you're you're eighteen to twenty one year old kid, you know, how many bills do you have at home? You're still probably living at home with your parents, you know, so it's like yeah. fuck yeah, let's go. You got someone paying for your racing, let's go and let's have fun, let's make little goals here on out from there. And then just when I transitioned fully into arena cross, that was like I was really good at it from growing up from racing arena cross, living in yeah. Oregon the whole entire time. I was like fuck man you're really good at arena cross like my very first year i think it was 2013 was my first year in amsoil arena cross and my very first race i rode the ax classic tyler bowers was winning jeff gibson was in it kelly smith all the all the hot rods of amsoil arena cross and my very first race i came out and i got fifth overall and That's i was like so sick. oh fuck like on a, on a bone stock kx250f like i didn't even have graphics on it or nothing i just came out and got fifth and literally the next weekend um, this guy, uh, this kid Blake and his, uh, I forget his father name, but they, they started a motocross team called team dirt candy. And they did, they did graphics called D team dirt candy graphics. Yeah, and like, he yeah, called me that. the very next weekend. Yeah. And they had a team that had like that Robbie Lynn dude, I think it is. And Ronnie Stewart. Yeah. 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 And they had a big, <laughs> yeah. But previous to that team, he sponsored me in Amso arena cross, like from the second round and like, he kind of took it from there, my stock bike, and like, we went to, God, I forget his name. He's gonna hate me for this, but he did, he builds motors over there, and he's fucking awesome. He built me a ripper. And like, I just started doing better and better in arena cross, 
And like from a guy who was making $200 qualifying for the night show in Supercross, getting top five in Amsoil Arena Cross would get you like 1500 bucks plus $800 Cowie contingency going and making mm. $2,300 a weekend just from purse and, and contingency, no sponsor money at all. You're like, oh shit, like, okay, I can, I, can, I can make some coin off this where every weekend, if I just consistently finish inside this top five. So that's kind of Amsoil Arena Cross is where I kind of started like focusing on training and n- not taking it too serious, you know, not to burn myself out because I was satisfied with that top five to top eight position because it mm. paid well enough for me. You know, I did, didn't want to get greedy, you know, didn't want to hurt myself and go out and reach, go out on a limb, but I was satisfied with that fifth through eighth spot and it made decent money. So I just kind of focused on making a career at Amsoil Arena Cross and just finding sponsors that would fulfill paying the, paying the fuel bill, paying the hotel bill, shit like that, you know, and like, you have a top you top five results all the way through on your resume, and it looks pretty good for being an Amazon Arena Cross rookie. And it just turned into other better sponsors like that and realizing, okay, these sponsors are paying you now, and you're making a little bit of dollars here and there on the weekend. Like, Amazon Arena Cross is the way to go for me versus Supercross. So that opened my eyes in as terms of making money on a dirt bike. And, okay, yeah, you can pay bills racing, racing your dirt bike now. So let's have some fun and let's let's take this shit a little serious right now and focus on Amsoil Arena Cross. And I did the Amsoil Arena Cross from like 2013 all the way until it's last year in 2018. And that's kind of my stepping stone of my career. And then 2016, I feel like, that, so from 2013 to 2016, that was like still nobody, just Jared Steinke, no stank dog involved. I think I yeah, barely yeah. had Instagram it then. And was barely calling it stank dog you know i gave myself the nickname you know like nothing nothing fantastic only had three thousand followers on instagram you know nothing like that to to get sponsors to promote that during arena cross and then in 2016 when i started doing the the 125 that's like what changed my career from making a few dollars and getting to racing for to having fun to where everyone wants to help everyone wants to help and pay no matter what it costs like they're oh do you need a dollar here do you need a dollar here do you need a dollar here where I was like holy shit this is a big stepping stone in my career like just riding the YZ YZ 125 it actually started in 15 16 we did the Husky full time but in 15 I did the YZ 125 for three rounds and then finished out on the KTM 125 like that is when I realized holy shit like you just all you did was do something different you know you stepped Mm. out of the level of being your fucking top five top 10 arena cross guy stepped out of your zone did something that you loved growing up riding a two-stroke and everyone fucking loves it and and now now you're now you're making a killing at people paying you money to race a two-stroke that you love and you're still getting beat you're still getting waxed you're still eating fucking roost but you tell yeah, yourself, yeah. you're fucking okay with it, dude. You're having fun. You're riding a bike that you grew up, that you love racing. You love riding that bike. And you're getting to do what you love to do. You're riding your dirt bike. But now that's like that stepping stone of like, holy shit. I feel like even though it wasn't, it's not a bunch of money, I still feel like, dude, I fucking made it. Like all these people want to help me. I'm getting all this exposure. Like it's the 125 turned turn the career from, okay, we can make a couple dollars to 
dude, this is fucking awesome. I'm having fun at that fun at this. Let's let's keep it going. Like it's fucking a thrill. Yeah, man. I just I I can't I can't think of a guy that's done a better job of branding himself um as just like you're the you're the vibe guy you know like i think when when i look at you and like this is me putting on like my fan hat of stank dog you look at you and it's just like oh that's everything like that's the whole thing like that's why we do it that guy see that guy that's the that's the thing if you want to know why i ride bikes like just watch him for a couple rounds like follow his instagram like He's the dude that uh, encapsulates this whole thing that we've got going on, and and yeah, it just seems like this organic thing, like the way that it that it kind of happened. And fuck, man, like to I honestly just think you hit a home run by just fully embracing yourself, what you liked, and you know, like staying true to that shit, and it just has yielded these like awesome results for you. Yeah, it has. Like, <laughs> for example, I'm. I'm not the first racer that has promoted weed or talked about smoking weed, but I am the first AMA motocross racer and AMA supercross racer to smoke weed and be okay with it. You know, like as shitty as that sounds, like yeah. they all know I smoke weed. Everyone knows I smoke weed. I promote it. Like it's it's no shame in my game. And, you know, it's like it's, a, it's amazing to me that I'm kind of the only one as a professional athlete racing that yeah. is promoting that type of stuff and doing that kind of thing. And I never thought it would be okay in, in the world we live in today, but it's, it's amazing to me about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's super cool. That's something that definitely we should talk about then. Um, that's fucking actually, have you got a joint with you? Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah. We should do this. I reckon. I wish we were fucking smoking this in person. It is, uh, what time is it here? Just to give everyone a little bit of context. So this is a 9 a.m. joint for me. So um, this ain't the standard. Is it? Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, dude. We'll talk about a wake and bake. Fuck yeah, snake dog. Yeah, baby. When snake dog comes on the podcast and asks to smoke weed. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Cheers, brother. Um, <laughs> Fuck yeah! You gotta, you gotta oblige the great man himself. When did? <laughs> yeah, we, when we did, had to uh, ask. We had to ask. I'm fucking here for it. When did you start smoking weed? Growing up in Oregon, I'm sure that's like kind of a thing. Oh, dude! So believe it or not, people don't even fucking believe me. Like, I never even tried weed. I never even tried alcohol until I was 19 years old. Like, completely two years out of high school, just. Another thing from my dad, my dad always said, he's like, he, he smoked weed my entire life. I was five years old going to the dirt bike track. He smoked weed with me in the vehicle. I hated the smell. I rode to the, to the track like this the, the entire time with my t-shirt over my nose, no matter if it was an hour and a half drive or 30 minutes drive, that fucker smoked weed and I drove like this. No shit. Right? Like, yeah, I just always accepted it. But his saying was, don't smoke weed until you have everything you want in life. And I was like, yeah, why? And he says, because weed makes you lazy. And that was like his whole philosophy behind it. So just growing up in high school, I had, you know, my pothead friends that came over and he's like, he'd always ask me, you don't smoke weed? And I'm like, nope. 
He's like, you haven't even tried it? I'm like, nope, no interest in it. Like, no, no interest at all. Like, he's like, you haven't even tried alcohol? And I'm like, nope. And it's like 16 years old. He's asking me all this. I'm like, no, man, no, no interest at all. Like, doesn't, I just want to ride my fucking dirt bike. Like, it is what it is. And then like 19, um, shoot, I mean, we could throw him under the bus. First time I ever smoked weed was with Teddy Parks, Preston Mull, and Bud Moore. <laughs> and it was <laughs> it was a supercross super cross season, like my second my second year supercross season's first time I tried it. And uh dude like kinda honestly been hooked ever since. Like the first two years I hit it from my parents of smoking and you know, never smoked in road and stuff like that, but just like would smoke occasionally with my friends and stuff like that. And then like a, a local legend, in my opinion, like growing up, even when I was on like a 125 was uh, Eric Swan. He's a kind of a NorCal yeah, legend yeah, dude. And yeah. he, he always smoked pot like at the track and rode his dirt bike. And like, I'd see him fucking smoking weed and go out there and fucking kicking everyone's ass. And I was like, dude, that dude's fucking smoking pot and fucking kicking everyone's ass. Like, that's pretty fucking sick. And like, I remember one one year at uh, the it's at Hangtown, but it's the Dodge Amateur National. Now it's the Fly National, I think yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah. Dodge Amateur National. And I'm parked and I'm signing up. And I come after signing up, I look and who's fucking parked right next to me? Eric Swan. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, fuck. Like, that's fucking sick. Like, dude's a legend. And he's parking right next to me. And like, I still at this point haven't smoked and smoked and ride or even let alone raced at this point. And he's like, fucking stink dog like dude fucking watch all your videos like you're fucking sick dude you want to fucking come burn one and i was like fuck, dude yeah absolutely like, <laughs> come burn one <laughs> so i ended up fucking right before practice burning one burning one with eric swan he's the first one i burned and then went and rode with and i practiced like that and i was like dude this is fucking kind of fun riding high like this like I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Don't, don't recommend it, kids. Don't fucking do this. Don't smoke and ride. It's fucking dumb. But yeah. at that point, it was fun. It was fun in life. And then like when I started smoking and racing, it kind of made me a better rider. And like even, even my dad said something. Like I was still hiding the smoking and racing from my father, but I was still doing it. And, and then one time at, at the same event, couple years later the dodge amateur national i got a bong in my hand and i'm getting ready to go out for the 450 pro moto and like my dad's the guy that will like just show up in his own vehicle super late and yeah, like yeah. barely make the race and just like i'm like okay he's he's not gonna be here fucking 15 minutes before we're getting ready to line up like i can i can hit the pipe like, yeah i'm sorry i'm literally mid mid toke and here he comes. I can he he like scrapes his feet when he walks, and I can hear the gravel coming. I'm like, fuck, that's my father ready. coming. Like, I'm just like, oh fuck it. I just here he comes walking around the corner. I'm like, oh, finish. You gotta finish the bong hit now. He's already sees you. So I finished the bong hit, and he kind of was like, his eyes get all big. Here, take this thing from me. His his eyes get all big, and he's like. Oh, oh. doesn't say nothing but he's just like kind of growling under his breath and like rolls his eyes at me and I go out I fucking whole shot and I smoke everyone at, at this really? national race but 
no I'll smoke shit. everyone by like 20 seconds. I come off and he's like, oh, Jared, I, I, I didn't know you smoked and raced, let alone smoked <laughs> and ride. And I was like, yeah, and he goes, I, I hate to say this because you know how I think about smoking and riding, but I think it made you a better rider. <laughs> I was like, I, I I agree. Like from my perspective, it you know, there's I'm sure there's some downfall in it, but smoking pot has opened my eyes in, in a bunch of ways, in a bunch of different ways, and yeah, even in motocross, like it just it's spiritual to me, you know, and it just it opened my eyes in motocross and made me enjoy it a lot, even though like obviously at a professional level we don't we don't smoke and ride anymore, you know, you fucking get in trouble. But I still at the end of the day like to go out and after the professional race, like to smoke and kick back and enjoy it and like it just yeah. it's my my release and my peace and it just it opens my mind in so many different ways that I didn't think was possible. Yeah. Man, I, I think about it a lot. So I didn't smoke California's what made me smoke weed. And I'll blow him out on here now, but I'll ask him and I'll cut it out later. But the first time <laughs> I feel like the f- the first time I ever smoked weed, I'm pretty sure. I actually I can't remember the first time I'd done a lot of drugs, to be honest. Um but I'm pretty sure the first time I ever That's smoked when it's weed, the best. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? So it's like, so I might have smoked weed before, but I just fucking forget because I was wasted or whatever. But uh, the first, like, memory I have of smoking weed was after LA Supercross. It was when Canard got landed on. So whatever year this was, I'm pretty sure this is the first time I started smoking weed. But uh, I went I think that back. was o- Oakland Supercross 2011. No, I th- it was LA. It was some. It was LA. Was it it might have been 2011, or okay. it was either 2011 or 2012. But I remember being in LA, and uh, okay. me and Wes, we come. Oh, maybe it was. It was yeah, Dodger Stadium, whatever that one was, and uh, and then anyway, we ended up. We had this weird fucking night, and I'm with Wes, and then Berriman and Berriman and like his ex chick picked us up from Supercross and took us back. We were staying in Canyon Lake, and. Uh, there's there's a fucking gas station on the right like kind of in sort of no man's lands like before you get to the the outlets there anyway i fucking barryman's got this bong in his car so i like fucking i'm like yeah i'll smoke weed never done my whole i was actually so anti-weed it was out of control so like we kind of we had some like gnarly drug shit growing up and it just wasn't like a i didn't i didn't know anyone in my there was no one in my life that did drugs or smoke weed that was like doing well for themselves it's kind of one of those deals you know and uh then i come to america and there's like all these dope ass fucking people that are like really great in life and they smoked weed so anyway i was like fuck yeah i'll do it so i ended up ripping this bong got paranoid as a motherfucker like and i was lit already before this and then i went in i like bought a bunch of these fucking snacks and i'm like eating these snacks before i paid for them and then i like hand like this open fucking snack box to the counter pay for this shit and then i like see fucking sirens on the highway going past and i was like oh. fuck i'm australian i'm fucking this i'm that i'm gonna get fu-. I, like run slid over the fucking bonnet like uh fucking full cop style got in the car just had like the weirdest weed experience ever but i that was like my first time and i would have been in my you know i was maybe like 24 at this point but i mean since then over the years like 
I probably didn't start smoking regularly for like three, four, like a few years after that. Um, and then, yeah, I think about it all the time now. I'm like, fuck, why do I like smoking weed? Like, is it that much better? Like I sort of, I don't know. I'm still like figuring out like my connection to weed. Like I definitely know the benefits of it physically. Like I do feel a lot of physical benefits pain wise. Um, and with training and shit like that, like all my joints are fucking sore all the time. But yeah, I'm like, I don't know, mentally, I'm like, I'm sort of still trying to figure it out. So like, I guess what's your thoughts around that? Like the reason why, like why you smoke weed? Man, like just, it calms me down so much. Like I've like never, never been diagnosed or anything with ADHD or ADD or anything like that, you know, never, and no, no symptoms or anything like that in, in my opinion, but just like, you know, like I can be angry or I can just be frustrated and like I can sit down and I can take a smoke smoke break and like literally I can feel my mind just like everything yeah you know, euphorical just like it just like rushes over of everything that was going on and it's like kind of like almost like the Cat Williams thing when he's like fuck them goddamn lights like you know like you gotta pay the yeah. light bill and it shut off like but it's just not that extent you know just like it's like so mind escaping for me like not that you forget that you got a day going on and that you got shit to do it's just like the bad stuff or the stuff that's frustrating you or just upsetting you like just like the whatever chemical it is the THC and it just like when it hits my brain it just like releases just just pleasure and like kind of makes me not forget about what's going on but just like kind of smile about it you know like fuck you were just angry 15 seconds ago and you just took a bong hit and you're like you're just sitting there smiling you know like texting your buddy happy as hell right now like texting your girlfriend happy as hell right now because just you were frustrated you took a bong hit and it just like cleared your whole mind like almost a almost a a refresh button yeah 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 i think like the i guess the people that are like i know people that are just full functioning stoners like they're just never not not stoned and if you like if they hid weed from you like if you didn't know that they smoked weed kind of all day every day you actually wouldn't know they smoked weed there's no visible signs like i feel like when i get stoned you could tell i'm fucking stoned you know what i mean but like there is like a difference but yeah those guys like you just kind of wouldn't know and they're fucking like i said there's some friends of mine and i won't name their names but they're just like full-time stoners and they just kill it at their life so i wonder at a i don't know like a neurological level what's kind of going on there like that there obviously is some kind of like consciousness shift like a state change but that's the same with every drug like and i mean you can hear the conversation you can hear what you say of like it's like pleasure it's like a refresh and then you know you'll get somebody that's like well you should learn how to deal with your problems better it's like well, I don't know, that is dealing with my problems better, like, in a way, you know? And for anyone that has ever drunk alcohol or drinks coffee, like, I've had two coffees this morning. That's a fucking drug. So I did drugs as soon as I woke up. Literally, I got out of bed. The first fucking thing I did is crushed up some beans, which comes from a plant, and then I fucking roasted that shit and then ingested the chemical to feel a certain type of way so it's like and you probably have a habit of doing it every day 
bro, beyond a habit. Be like, I don't see. see it's, it's a drug. So I can I can see a day in my life where I don't smoke as much weed, right? I don't know that I see a day where I don't drink coffee. I don't know that. I don't exactly. think that's a thought that's ever. Cr- that's a fucking drug, you know. So I don't it's know. A, There's it's like a drug. Yeah. So there's a like we change our state constantly when you know you wake up and you have a coffee and then you have another coffee through the day you come home like i mean fuck man my parents hate the fact that i smoke weed but my mom will drink wine like most nights and it's like what what do we what's the difference and you know that what your dad said though i think is the thing if you're gonna smoke weed it's like you do feel lazier and i ain't mad at for sure like life our life like modern day life is fucking super busy and super stressful you got a lot going on if you can like instantly kind of let a lot of that shit go so that you can fire up and do it all again tomorrow which that's kind of the way that i use weed it's like i kind of hit a point in the day i'm like all right i've got enough shit done i'm gonna start smoking some weed and it's probably going to slow me down, but I need that. And then I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. tomorrow, yep. which ain't fucking lazy, and I'm going to start grinding again, you know? So, I don't know. It, yep. it definitely does make you lazier, but it's like, I, don't, I mean, and I've said this to my dad, like, we're, we're actually at Rock, uh, Rockhampton. We did this race a couple of weeks ago. It was, fuck, it was actually the fucking best. This is, like, the best weed thing is... uh we just there was the whole group of us and we all we had like a little bit of this shitty bush weed and we fucking sat there drinking <laughs> beers and wine and like all these boys don't smoke really regularly at all and we were just like laughing and carrying on like it was fucking hilarious and uh and then anyway dad like dad went to sleep before it and uh, he wakes up and I'm like sitting there like a dirty little fucking bong head and he's like you gotta quit that shit <laughs> and I literally and I literally just said to dad I was like dad i don't know if you've noticed man but i'm like literally killing it <laughs> like i'm as happy as i've uh-huh. ever fucking been in my entire life like i don't know what the problem is here so i don't know it's definitely something i go back and forward with and i do try and like pretty much when i run out of weed it's not like it's not like america where you can just like go and buy it like it's a thing you've got to fucking source right. it so i pretty much like run out and i'll let myself have like it's a like you're in weeks. high school again no matter what bro perennial high school and uh and yeah so i'll like let it run out then i'll stay running out for a couple weeks before i start to kind of hit up people and see who's got what but um yeah i don't know i think i definitely do think about it i definitely don't think it's something you could you should abuse uh if your life isn't where you want it to be yeah 100 percent agree with that like like my father said like it it does make you lazy and you know, don't don't do it until you have everything you want in life. Like I, I feel like I even started at a younger age, but there is there is people I know that you know started smoking weed at 12 years old, and they're they're 35 years old now, and they own their own house that's half a million dollars, and they don't yeah. even smoke weed now. But they, you know, like it's it's not that it can ruin you. You know, it's not it's not that it's not okay to experiment with or anything like that. But like you know some people are okay with it some people aren't okay with it you know like it's like yeah like alcohol like i look at alcohol as kind of like that's kind of everyone says weed's the gateway drug well no i feel like alcohol is the gateway drug like everyone yeah. tries alcohol first before yeah. anything and it's like 
you know, like I, I know, for example, I'm sure everyone can, can relate in the same way, but it's like, I've never, ever, you know, like sat down with five of my friends and like smoked five joints and been like, oh fuck, let's go out and cause some trouble. Yeah, you let's know, go flat. But I've definitely, you know, I've definitely sat down with five friends and drank a 30 pack and been like, dude, let's go fuck shit up. Let's go. <laughs> like been all rowdy. It's like, that's the worst fucking drug for you right there. Alcohol. It's like, it, it creates bravery. You know, and like it, it, it creates angerness and just like, it's, it's one of the worst ones out there. And like, just like we said earlier, like everyone, everyone has their own different opinion. Yeah. Everyone's right. Everyone's wrong. It is what it is. But like my choice of drug is weed and just the happiness it creates me. And some people's choice of drug is coffee or nicotine yeah. or anything like that. It all, you know, it all has their mindscape. Are, are they wrong for it? No. Are they right for it? No. You know, it's like, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm about as libertarian as it gets when it comes to yeah, exactly. know, like doing what you want to do with your body, you know? And there's the 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 most fucked up thing uh, I think about the way that people view weed. So like I guess forget about um, you know, if you'd ever do it or if the person's lazy or the person's this or like fuck all that. There's a lot of people that are in jail right now for weed. And I think that, you know, like people should change their opinion or like not like think what you want about the drug and what it does to people, whatever. But like in terms of people being locked up for their life, you know, a lot of like, especially in like black communities, it's like it's a fucking real problem, man. Like drugs at the lower lowest level of society is what puts people in jail. Right. And you've got people at every level of society that are doing drugs whether it's fucking you know cocaine alcohol like people want to change their state and then you've got people at like the lowest level of society and especially like one particular fucking color of people and it's like these laws that you've got and these opinions and these prejudices that you've got around a drug like weed that has like scientifically there's no dangers in terms of like there's no ld50 like there's no lethal dose of it there's a lethal dose of alcohol like there's a lethal dose of a lot of shit you're allowed to take and then you've got this drug which like physically isn't a dangerous drug for people and it's banned and because it's banned there's people in like this real low level of society that are going to prison for this shit and that is then from that you've got like a lot of young men that grow up without fathers so it's just it's so much bigger than what uh like whoa fucking stoner it's like yeah okay yeah but because we're still hanging on to this shit there's still people in fucking prison for something that like you know that's that's fuck the effects on society that just grows in the fucking ground yeah so i mean i think that it just grows in the ground yeah, so I just think it's like a bigger conversation that's sort of worth having, you know, like, because there's some, the real negative effects aren't coming from the drug, they're coming from the drug being banned. Um, so, yeah, I just think that it's a little bit more important than just like your personal opinion on it in that way. Like, there's a reason, there's a bigger reason why I think something should be legal. But when it comes to you repping it, like, as a writer, um, I guess what was that decision like to just be like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to own it. And was there ever pushback? Like, how long did you hide it for? 
Oh yeah, like the, I mean, I still I still get grief about it to this day. You know, there's still like sponsors, some sponsors that are with me that aren't big fans of it. You know, don't like me promoting it, but they've you know like they're kind of just sticking through it and and being okay with it, making themselves okay with it. And then there's some that are totally just like you know, fuck it, he is who he is. It's what he does. You know, he, he stays out of trouble. He uh, he promotes himself well. He has a lot of followers on Instagram and it's, it's something that they're okay to be with. And then there's those people that are like, Oh fuck. He, he smokes weed. Absolutely not. Absolutely. We, we can't have any part of that. We can't yeah, have our brand yeah. behind that. Like not nothing like, so there is, it, there is times that it, hell yeah, it's affected me big time. And there's people that still to this day, like still hate it. Still, still will, you know, secretly behind your back, talk, talk shit. Like, for example, I mean, I don't, I don't give a shit that I'll say his name on uh, on TV. Another podcast guy, Steve Mathis, like I feel like he's like cool cool to me in the in in the face, you know. And he's like, uh, he'll have me on his show, but then like I feel like as soon as I'm gone, he's like, oh fucking pothead. He fucking smokes weed. Like yeah, he's a fucking pothead. Like that's the vibe I get from him, and I guarantee that's that's kind of like what he's saying, you know. And it's like that's that's how some people are, you know. It is it is what it is, and it's like that's that's his way his take on on weed and it's like there's some people that are completely okay with it and it's like I don't think he's totally against it because he's helped me in some ways like he got me the straight got me into the Red Bull straight rhythm and then I go out yeah. and I win it the phone the the one he got me in and it's like so it's like he can't hate hate it too much or hate me too much but I feel like at the end of the day some people are like oh yeah fucking pothead or yeah I don't yeah. want this guy repping my brand because he smokes weed or anything like that so it's like yeah it was tough super tough for me to to bring out but it's like honestly money I got my my biggest at when I first started getting money sponsors my biggest paying sponsor at the time was a fucking cannabis sponsor you know and it, yeah. it paid paid almost 50 grand in one year so it's like they're paying almost triple of what I'm getting in in my yearly salary like why yeah. wouldn't I like and and, I, and it's like it makes me feel comfortable you know I'm at the dirt bike track on practice days fucking in my van hiding out smoking hopefully hopefully no one comes over no one comes over no fan or nothing like that and I don't have to open my door and they smell weed or anything like that you know it's like yeah fucking hated going to the dirt bike track because I smoked weed you know it's like even though you know it's like okay there's times where you 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 don't smoke weed at the track, but like oh, one of your pothead friend comes over and he's like, I hey, got a ball, you know, you want to smoke? Fuck yeah, yeah. I want to smoke, you know, hell yeah. Like, and then you're like, oh shit, one of my, is a fan going to come over? And then it's like, fuck it, you know what? You got this weed sponsor, like, dude, be yourself, fucking be okay yeah, it's with, like your job with now promoting it. And as soon as I, yeah, exactly. Now, now I see it, it's like, there's so many people sponsored by not only like cannabis stores, but fucking, you know, people that grow cannabis, CBD, for example, you know, like that, that shit has THC in it too, whether it's a small amount or they take it out, trace amounts, but it's, you know, it has THC in it, whether they're sponsoring freestyle, freestyle, motocross, supercross rider, whoever. Yeah. It's all the same in my opinion. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, if you're, um, if you're this passionate, I mean, cause one of the reasons I talk about it is just. I guess sort of for that reason is like, yeah, it's a fucking thing I do. It's definitely a thing like I've thought about a lot and I've like made a decision. At this point, it's like 
the information I've got is like, okay, I feel like this is definitely helping more than it's hurting. It's like, you've got the pros, you've got the cons. I, I definitely feel like there's more pros. So it's like, fuck, like I, I gotta be honest about that. Like I try to be honest about everything on this podcast because I don't want to fucking have to try and remember what I've talked about, what I'll let slip. You know, it's like, here, here's what it is. Yeah. And cause it's like, fuck man, there is people out there that where they they just genuinely genuinely feel like they work and operate better and it's like you don't want to feel like that person can't talk about it or that person has to hide it like you said and it's like i don't know maybe they're like yeah fucking jace talks about it like stank dog he talked about it like maybe i don't have to be ashamed about it and i feel the same way like this is the thing man like i feel the same way like if you were fucking gay like there was anyone around me that was gay it's like anything that you feel shame about or you feel like you have to hide because of fucking society and what other people are going to think like fuck all that like you shouldn't have to hide the fact if you're fucking gay or if you're like you're a dude but you want to fucking be a chick you thought you were born like it's the same shit like you shouldn't have this shame about what you do i mean there was a time where like you couldn't fucking have tattoos you know like you have to hide or like there's we've as society it's like we've always tried to move past these things that we find shameful like fucking sex you know like people used to really hide sex and you know like there's that that what was that saying fucking every every hooker i've ever met talks about god and every uh prostitute and every priest i've ever met talks about sex you know so it's like it's this fucking yeah. thing that we, you know, you used to have to try and hide all this shit from society. I just feel like as society moves on, it's sort of more about people just not having to like feel this fucking shame of who they are. Like that's ultimately what freedom should be about. Yep. I agree. 100%. Just it's, it's no shame. You know, like, like you're saying, whether you're gay or, or you smoke weed or you're an alcoholic, like as long as you're not, self-consciously holding that shit in like you know making yourself uncomfortable around people like it's you're gonna feel a much better person you're gonna feel happier you're gonna feel relief you know like it's gonna it's gonna be like a whole new person for you you're gonna be awake like you know you're not gonna be ashamed of who you are anymore pretty much even even if you think some people will be ashamed of you you know there is gonna be someone ashamed of you out there but there's also gonna be someone out there that's very fucking positive and supportive for you about it yeah you know so it's like just 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 be who you are man and don't don't hold that shit back like 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 you're saying like when i promoted the weed sponsor and it just made me so much happier and like you know like it made me to where I smoke, I kind of smoke weed outside of my van now at the motocross track. Like, yeah, sh- should I not do that? But yeah, everyone knows I do it and people know some, some people send their kids up still and like, don't give a fuck, yeah. you know, like it's, it's fucking, it's rad. Like one, one girl, she came up, she's like, oh, my dad wants you, wants me to get a signature on, on my shoe. And I was like, all right. And I signed it and she's like, he also wants you to draw a doobie. And I was <laughs> like, okay, that's funny shit. So I was like, all right, I drew the doobie. And I was like, See, like, that's, that's fucking rad. She's, like, nine years old coming up, and, you know, it's, like, she knows what fucking weed is. You know, it's, like, it's some some parents, you know, are very open with their kids, and some aren't. And it's, like, I see, for example, like, some kids are, like, kind of sheltered and hidden and, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And it's, like, 
those kids are fucking some of the worst people I've ever met in my life now. Like, you know, they're fucking assholes. Yeah. They don't have a heart. Yeah. They don't they don't care for you, you know, and it, you know, vice versa, the other way around. It's fucking it's weird. Yeah, the um the fucking the fans thing must have been kind of weird to go from kind of being like in such an obscure you know like you're driving out of Loretta's before you even get your trophy you know like I don't it's probably not a point where you, when you're a kid you thought you'd actually have like fans and stuff and then to be I guess embraced uh the way that you are now by fans like what what was it like to start getting stank dog fans dude like it, it was wild like it was, I can remember, is when I qualified on the YC125 at Bud's Creek in 2015. And I went from like 3,500 followers on Instagram. And I didn't even have phone service there. So it was like 24 hours of no phone service to getting home. And I had 23,000 followers on Instagram. And I was like, wow. holy fucking shit. Like this, this is fucking awesome. Like I'm... I'm gaining fans from writing this. Like, this is fucking a good feeling. Like, I I honestly couldn't believe it. And I was like, dude, this is fucking awesome. And like, the support I'm getting, like, not only am I doing this for myself now, like riding the two-stroke from growing up, like, now I'm doing this for other people. Like, this is fucking sick. Like, I can't believe how many people I'm supporting now because of like how many older older cats, you know, older heads that are like, dude, you're fucking living my dream. Like you're fucking out there on the two stroke ripping long that's hair. Sick. Like you're having fun. Like, dude, it's like, that was like, that's still keeping me going to this day. Like we're, we're, uh, next year we're doing full 125 two stroke and 252 stroke and supercross. We're doing one of the coast on a 250 and the other coast on a 125 and then doing 125 on outdoors. So we're going to, you know, give the, give the fans what they want and go back to my roots and fucking just have fun again. Dude, that's fucking sick. So what is riding national tracks like Bud's Creek and Red Bud and Southwick and like you've just got all these iconic tracks. What is it like actually riding them on a 125 on a national prep? Is it fun as fuck still? Dude, honestly, I think it's funner because it's like so gnarly and prepped. So it's like you're just out there, you're line searching. It's like, you you know, you're not taking the lines that they're taking because they're so deep and rutted, you know, like you have no power, no torque on that 125 or, or even if you're out there on the 252 stroke, you know, you don't take the lines that they're taking. So it's like you're riding a completely different track and versus like if you've been there on a four stroke before and then you go there on the two stroke, it's like, holy shit, it's a new track to me because I'm riding completely different lines, but it's so much fun riding on the 125 because you're riding a new track every time you go to it because the prep's different every time. But it's like yeah. just line searching inside, outside, inside, outside. Don't hit their lines. Don't hit the ruts that they've created or it's going to bog you down. Like, but, but then again, at the same time, you're thinking like, fuck, I'm riding this most legendary, iconic track that a two stroke hasn't ridden on in fucking how many yeah, years yeah. and then like you know and it's like you got all these fans that are coming out they're like oh my god a fucking two stroke like i haven't heard one of these on this track in 10 fucking years and they're like that's that's a good feeling too and it's like holy shit like like let's go two stroke like luke Renslin, carson brown we all need to ride two strokes let's start a movement us three guys next year and then 
every 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 person from there on out privateer I'm telling you you will make more money you'll have more fun riding a two-stroke than you do your fastest race bike you ever built and it will save your parents and your sponsors thousands of dollars dude that's the ad right there for two strokes okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So, uh, with the, with the, the 125 itself, like, how good can you make a 125 these days against those 250Fs? And what is it actually like racing a full race bike? Is it, is it just they're so much out of the 125's league or like you can get the thing going? Oh, dude, I mean, if you can ride the 125 right full, fully like wringing its neck on the top end the whole time, keeping it on the pipe and never let it go down... It's it's like a third of of what a race bike is in my opinion like whoa that that dude that's that's my opinion like shit it it's if you can ride the race bike to its potential you know like me for example I'm not any faster on a 250F versus a 125 it's just the way I ride the bike it is what it is but there's guys that just have that you know that factory bike where that that bike is so much lighter it's it's probably the same amount of weight as my 125 their race 250s are you know and mm. then twice the amount of power if not three times the amount of power so just like the disadvantage it is just on the track the the, the track lines that you get to take on the 250f race bike versus the 125 it's it's outrageous the amount of power that race bikes have versus a 125 even even my privateer race bike like you know i got i got great motor builders behind me jim hasker and it, it's it's a it's a it's a good privateer bike and it shits on my 125 and he builds 125 too and it's fast my 125s are faster than a, off the off the 4 125 you know like it's got every bell and whistle you can make and it's fast as shit but compared to a 250F no not not even it's not even comparable not even comparable like it, especially in the bottom end where it's soft soft ground soft dirt and if there's ruts those those four strokes just outpower the two strokes double or nothing that is insane so then think about this james stewart 125 he that right there just how he could race against all four strokes and come from last to first or mid-pack to first fall down four times and still with that shows speed 
and talent. Like he could have been on a fucking 65 and would, no matter what, he would have made that shit happen. Like just the power, power, uh, the significant power loss he had versus those guys. I don't care. Even if those four strokes weren't that great that in those years, they were still faster than that 125 hands down 100%. It's like, dude, that dude was kicking your guys's ass on a bike. That's half the power. Like it's, it's amazing. Cause like there's, there's no other way. I don't care. I don't care if you found the best 125 two stroke rider out there in the world right now that he wouldn't, I don't think he could top 10 on the 250 F class in the outdoor motocross. No way. Mm. Just the, how much faster those bikes are. Like, I don't think he would, you could get a good enough start on a 125 versus that many 250s like you gotta yeah, you well, gotta I, have that raw speed you gotta be that steward <laughs> yeah i uh i was watching like i said the the um two-stroke vids last night and a glenn helen man like there there was a guy you were halfway up one of the hills when he came out of the inside Ch- right. jeremy martin yeah and then by the end jeremy of, martin like, on the star yamaha yeah, and I'm just like, fuck, that's heavy, dude. Like, heavy, heavy. Literally, by the end of the up, like, he's like 10 bike links behind me at the bottom of the hill. And, like, bef- by the top of it, he's four bike links in front of me. It's like, yeah, that's like five seconds right there on one section of the track. And it's like, it's, it's not like I was, I wasn't going slow up the hill, you know? It's like, I was wide open giving the bike everything it had you know until its fullest potential and he's i'm he's doing the same thing but just motors right by me yeah man it it is it was that was like one clip where you could just fully see the difference and uh yeah it's like i think it speaks to how fucking rad of a person you are though to just be able to go out there and every single time you know like you just know you're going to be battling tooth and fucking nail just to get into the show like that takes a pretty fucking (laughs) rad dude to accept that shit every weekend yep i i it sucks that i accept that i'm gonna eat roost for an hour straight know that i'm gonna be from the 20 to 30 mark like if if you know if qualifying that was the hardest thing just qualifying getting it in you know in the top 36 without having to do the lcq but then like knowing once i got in the motos i'm not gonna get a good start (laughs) i'm probably gonna come around the corner almost last you know and it's so it's just fucking give it hell give it everything you can eat as much roost as you can make it enjoyable that you're eating roost and your face looks like brownies after like you're pulling every tear off that's on your goggles just you accept it you go out there the fans are cheering louder for you than anyone out there on the track like i I was listening to a podcast i forget which podcast it was and it had adam Censorello on it and it was in 2016 he was in the 250 class and he's like I was on the parade lap one time, and I forget which track we were at, and he's like, these fans were going nuts. They were going bananas, and I I look over to wave at him, and I look who's next to me, and it's Stank Dog on the 125-2 show, and he's like, they were fe- cheering for him, not me. And he's like, yeah, dude, like, it's fucking unreal. Dude, yeah, it is It is pretty, pretty fucking cool. Uh, and... I don't know, man. Like, it obviously just inspires people. Like, there's obviously just something in it, you know? Like, there's... I mean, there's an obvious nostalgia for two strokes, but I just think, like, I don't know, the way that you go and... Because I feel like if you took it seriously, 
and not not that you don't take it seriously but if you were competitive about it and like you come in after the moto and you were like fuck i knew i could have got this guy i could have done that fucking this happened like i don't know it just even though you're on a 125 even though you're doing the two-stroke thing i just don't think the effect would be the same like i just fully think it takes your personality and how laid back you are and like you just embrace you know what you said you just got to make it fun that you're going to eat roost like i think it's it's not just the fact that you're on the two-stroke but i think it's the way that you go about being on the two-stroke as well that just like it makes it fun for everybody yeah i agree it's like it's 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 who i am it's like my vibe like it's that's what i put off as uh 1970s to 1990 early early two-stroke motocross is like how i feel like i feel like i'm born in the wrong era a little bit but just like i I get to bring it back and it's like that that cool feeling of the two-stroke being back out there and the fans cheering it on that's just the vibe like that's it's kind of like my soul it's my roots man yeah what what music and shit are you even into that era of music like did you ever move on or were you are you one of the guys it's like everything about you is stuck in that era um so, so my favorite band is metallica done say less yeah <laughs> metallica i enjoy metallica you know I, I listen to pretty much everything but country nowadays like i've i've my girlfriend's making me enjoy country a little bit here and there but like that's kind of one thing I don't listen to, but like back in the day, you know, it was kind of the, the emo, the punk rock, the, yeah. the Hawthorne Heights, the under oath, oh. shit like that, you know, Reliant K all just, just yeah. all the punk rock and screaming music. That's, that's what I was into growing up and you know, it's, it's changed a little bit now, but you know, I enjoy it all, all classic music now, little Rick James, get funky. Oh, stop it. There, dude, Ohio is for lovers. I've like, I listen to that song <laughs> still all the time. And like, you know what? It's kind of fucking cringy now. Like I was listening to it the other day and I, there was a little bit of cringe in there that I just realized. Fuck though, that's like one of my favorite songs of all time. That that was such a great uh-huh. era for music, dude. And like, especially for me, like when I didn't go to a concert uh, till I was like in my 20s, like uh kind of 23 24 and uh that was one of the dopest things about moving to america was like getting to go to warp tour and you'd see all of those old bands dude like all time low and fucking you know like even rise against and so much like some 40 some 41 you know i was so pumped that i got to actually get to experience that shit live too yeah that that genre and that era just like it, it, I feel like that was like in everyone's life at one point that the, yeah. the under oath Ohio yeah. is for lovers from, from Hawthorne Heights, you know, I, I don't care who you are. Like it's from your, your age right now, if you're like 25 to, to 40, you, you've heard those songs. Yeah, dude. That's one of the things I love about Adam Cincerello is that he's still there with Blink-182. Like he's just not letting go. And that was a fucking amazing band, dude. I sp- I would have... There's like uh, Blink-182 and Linkin Park are probably the two bands that I've put the most amount of time into in my life. Like, I would... If I had an hour meter on my life for Linkin Park, like, fuck. There's a, there's a lot there. Linkin Park is the shit, dude. Uh, another <laughs> one is The Offspring. <laughs> dude, The Offspring. I love The Offspring. I probably got 
on Pandora, I probably got days of days of listening to them on on Pandora. Fuck, I wish we had the stats for, like, because we grew up, like, we had Walkmans and shit when we were growing up. I wish we had the stats on that. It'd be interesting to know how much, because Spotify and shit tells you that stuff nowadays. But I wonder, yeah. too, like, you think about the way that we are, and, like, the music that was influencing us. Like, there, it was all this emo shit, and we were, like, all these emotional fucking dudes, as you know, like, or dealing with our own fucking emotions <laughs> and shit, like... And you think about what the kids have got to listen to now with like, you know, well, fuck, it got weird for a few years there with like the SoundCloud rap, but you know, like everything yeah, now is yeah, like yeah. Migos and Drake. It's like, I wonder the effect. Cause I mean, I know the effect all of that music had on me. Like I can still hear some of that uh-huh. shit these days and like you still feel it like my chemical romance, you know, like some of those. Yeah. You get a little, sort, little like, emotional fuck yeah like helena and shit and uh and i wonder i wonder what effect like this generation music will have for them you know it's just like so much trap shit which i fucking love Uh uh-huh yeah i I can i mean when i'm thinking about what they're rapping about i like i i never thought about it like how you're talking to your your perspective like what it's doing to them like them listening to it making forming their brain basically you know like yeah i never thought about it like what what it could possibly doing to him you know like what it's most of its negativity or you know trapping or doing something bad along the lines of you know uh, having your heart broken or something like that or you know it's not it's not like the genre we used to listen to nah and then it's like a lot of the stuff that Dude, I get fucking pumped up by it, but a lot of the, like, the money and the bitches, and the, like, literally, if you could sum up, like, the music these days, like, fuck bitches, get money. That's, like, literally all anyone fucking raps about. <laughs> yeah. Fuck bitches, get money, weed, the, the coke, and all the other shit. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. So, I want, uh, I want a bit of a stank dog. 125101. My 125 just got put back together. I rode it for the first time yesterday. That's probably the bike I'm going to be riding the most in the next little bit. I want Stank Dog 125101. Oh, shoot. I'd say, what kind of carb you got on there, first of all? I got Electron on there. Oh, man. You might have to edit this one out, but. No, Fuck. you just go God for it. We don't. It. No. You the, we, all right, you got you got the wrong carb on there. Um, really? If you could, if you could get, to, yeah. In my opinion, um, so I think it came stock with a Makuni carb on there, uh, thirty-eight yeah. millimeter. So here's a weird thing: all two fifty-two strokes. I don't care if it's KTM, Gas Gas, or Husky. It comes with a thirty-eight millimeter carb on it, or sorry, thirty-six millimeter carb on it. Then the 125s come with a 38 millimeter carb on it. So my theory of it is why would you put a bigger carb on a 125 and a smaller carb on a 252 stroke? So the first thing I did when I first got both bikes was switch them. Put the bigger carb on the bigger bike, the smaller carb on the smaller bike, which that made a drastic difference. Then I went to testing between a Makuni carb and a Keehan carb. And the Husky comes stock with a Makuni carb on it. And when I went to the Kian carb on that it's I swear by it this is like my biggest thing on on 125s is like 
the running, the finesse of the carburetor. Like it has to be spot on for that, for the bike to, to be running perfect. You know, you don't want it to bog when you land or any bullshit like that. So testing, I've found the key in carb is hands down the best, whether it goes up, down, like I've tried the Electron, I still have Electron to this to these days on some of my bikes, but just hands down from 101 experience, that key in carb with, I don't care what pipe it is, Pro Circuit, FMF, Bills, as long as you have the works pipe and then the shorty silencer, it has to have the shorty silencer on there with a key in carb, and that 125 will fucking rip, in my opinion. It, it, <laughs> don't get me wrong, they still rip with that Makuni and the Electron, but that would be my biggest 101 on the 125. That, that and handlebar bend for me, like the stock bend that comes on the Husky 125. That's my that's my 101 on the on the two stroke. It, that, that bend only comes on the Husky 125, and really? I love that handlebar bend. It's yeah, I love it. The no crossbar. Um, I think it, it's the year 2016 that I had it on, so I think it was Pro Taper handlebars. I think yeah. it was with just like a husky cover. I don't remember, but that was my favorite bend on the 125. Like every 125 I rode, or even even to this day, like I'm like I still have two sets of those bars from my from my husky that are used and scratched, and they possibly could still be a little bent, but I'm like. Dude, those bars gotta go on my 125. Like it feels comfortable, even even on my KTM that I've had after. Like those Husky bars are going on my KTM. Like they they feel great. That's sick. So yeah, mine's got. Um, we put the Electron on there, um, and then that's it. Like that's the only engine kind of mod. And then I got a Bill's pipe, the Works one with the shorty on it. And the, the thing that I like about Electron, though, so, like, I pretty much fucked my bike because I was fucking with the carb. Um, and I, like, I put the I put the needle in wrong and, like, the, the tip of the needle broke and then that got shot into the engine and then I did a fucking big end. So, like, I was just like, you know what? Oh. I just don't know that, that this is for me. But, man, you, you bolt on Electron, like, literally, we put it on, you, we put the throttle cable on and then that's it you start the bike and it fucking works and like it's completely fine so that to me is like big appeal for those carbs uh and then we've got the uh we got the like i said the um mx tech suspension with the natty shock and then the the blackjack internal forks wp factory clamps and then the phds bar mounts so that's like pretty much our like our configuration um and then the only other thing i got one of those ride engineering like steering dampeners on my 350 um and i've never have you ever used one of those things um no never used a ride ride engineering one but i have used like when they ridden the hondas when they come stock oh yes so it's a show you use the honda steering dampener this is it's just a ride engineering mount that like so you don't have to like drill into your frame and shit um but yeah so it's one of those honda really? steering dampener ones but i was like i don't know if the 125 will need it but now I, I think i'm probably just gonna try it on there just to just to try it but the um the 
one thing I feel like I noticed riding with the that whole setup, so I don't know exactly which part's kind of responsible for it, but I used to always, like, have trouble feeling, like, when the front end was going to, like, let go. Um, but I feel like whatever that setting in the... Whatever combination of that in the front end is, is, like, I literally feel this, like, little bit of flex before the front wheel tucks. And then it's, like, that's the edge. And then you just... You kind of pull out and go from there. And then, like, yesterday was one of the first times that I've, like, ever fucking rode and, like, just didn't wash the front at some point, you know? Well, um, on the, the fa- factory triple clamps, do you have tie bolts in them? Nah, they're you know just the, the pinch stock bolts ones. or tie bolts. Nah, they're standard just bolts. Okay, um, like for pushing front end, always, always in my opinion, it can be from two things. It can be from your sag not being correct. Yeah, and then it could be from. Like you're saying, you have uh, factory triple clamps. Um, I do know some factory triple clamps come with titanium bolts, which, in my opinion, creates uh, rigidness. Um, obviously, titanium stiffer than our normal bolts, and when your front end's obviously more stiffer and rigid, it's going to push and kind of glide around yeah. around the ground more um, than digging in. So you're um, you... another. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Uh, another thing I would I would recommend on putting on the 125 would be a VH VHM head piston oh, and crank. Uh, yeah, right. Like that. Those that company I think they're out of the Netherlands, and you know they've helped me out a few times here and there. But like I, it helps so much, I'd even buy it for my own bike, my own 125. Like if I have to buy it, it comes down to it. That's something that I'm buying for my 125 because it is a game changer. Like really, not it. It's it's like changing your suspension. Literally, like it's it's a game changer. It's it's seconds on lap times. No way. What what does that do like to reliability though? Do you think like do you then have to really kind of um, keep up extra maintenance and shit? Um. So the VHM has they been known to be very reliable, and I feel like what they do to their crank, so they balance it, and then they like. I forget what it what it's called, but it like does like this uh, thrusting thing, like it like forces it to come back up. Like it's like an added, they balance it, and then uh, they add like, like add another weight that like kinda. makes. It, yeah, like it thrusts the the crankshaft back up. It like forces it back up instead of just like rolling it. Yeah, it helps yeah. it force it back up, and like out of testing and everything like that, it's the longevity has been. I've gotten the same amount of time out of every VHM product that I've used versus stock. And you know, like my my skill level on a 125, we would always go like 10 hours on a piston and then 25 hours on a crank and yeah. switch it, you know, like, and I feel like for your average rider, I feel like you could probably go 50 hours on a top end and a crank on a, on a 125, you know, as long as you're not beating the living hell out of it wide open, screaming it around the track the entire time. Yeah. And I feel like you could get that out of VHM products or the or the stock stock products. Yeah, right, dude. That's rad. Yeah, we we did like the bottom end. We because yeah, I think I think it was from that needle, like got shot into the motor at, at some point and just got in and fucked something up. 
but um yeah so we did that and but yeah everything else is just completely stock um you're a little bit more technical than i thought you'd be for whatever reason maybe that's what you were saying before people don't think you're that smart but there's obviously like are you into the like nerdy side of fucking motocross because for me half the fun is just being a fucking nerd about it yeah exactly like um i could i hate to say this but i could probably be uh, factory riders factory mechanic that's how mechanically inclined I am on the motorcycle like hell yeah my dad from yeah literally like I I'm super nitpicky about it like I I feel like not to not to brag but I probably wash a dirt bike better than most people that wash their dirt bikes like it has to be spotless clean every time S- certain soap used every time scrub pads used every time like even as a privateer my my bike after five hours gets framed re-greased everything like that like i do it all myself um the motor work i can do pretty much everything i don't do it because i don't have to but i can do everything myself like if i was in a bind and needed needed anything done on the track which i've I've done it last year and the year before you know full split the cases full put a crank in at the track on a 250f um we can do it all ourselves. and growing up from 85 you know i could change tires change the tube flat tire i could do all top ends do the clutch all on an 85 like my dad made me go out there and do those things and like lubing the controls shit like that like we always had cable lubers like it you always want your controls to be the easiest they can be and so they're reliable and just like i always make my make sure my bike is top-notch cherry and like uh super picky about it like i feel like i could be a factory mechanic fuck dude that's so sick man and were you always because uh, so this is like a new thing for me oh bro i got a book for you zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance so you asked me what my favorite dude, book of that's all my time book is. bro this is your book you oh fuck you have no idea so i'll fucking amazon you this to your house as soon as we finish this fucking fuck podcast. yeah but uh dude yeah so i read this book and uh like my dad's literally a factory mechanic so my dad's won two the two supercross titles the jackson richardson one my dad was his wrench like he's my dad flew to america and did the whole outdoor season over there yeah so i kind of grew up in this house where my dad was such a fucking good mechanic and he loved it so much like his his joy of us racing came from like working on our shit you know and uh so i I just it skipped me man you know like i kind of wanted to go in and i i liked it but he just did such a good job that was his thing it was hands off and uh, would fix it yeah yeah and we fucking loved him for it and he still fixes everyone's shit like everyone's like toby's bikes everyone's bikes they go to his place but um but yeah so like it was kind of a something i wasn't really that into and then uh, I read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance because I read the sequel to it first without knowing that that was the uh, the second book. But yeah, I read it and I was like, fuck this. I'm going to start working on my bikes just to like live these theories that this guy spoke about in this book, you know. And man, I've got so much joy from working oh, on my yeah. bike these days. And that's what's cool about this Husky. So, I mean, I got, a, I got like four bikes that are like project bikes right now. But this is the first one that we finished and uh man there was some like really good satisfaction that come from riding that bike yesterday like me and my dad built it and like even roan's you know like ronan had been filming it the whole time and then he got to ride it yesterday so like 
don't know. There's like there's something super dope in working on your bike and building a bike and really enjoying that process. Yeah, and and a, another feeling is like, even if you're not very good at it, if you take the right steps and you be careful, you know it's done right. And that kind of yeah. gives you another confidence in your bike when you're riding. You're like, shit, I did this. Like I I know I did it right. I know it's not gonna fuck up. Like let's let's go. Yeah, I didn't have that feeling yesterday though. I was definitely insanely (laughs) (laughs) that shit was gonna fuck up. Uh, So like, so you you always enjoyed it though. Like, was it something that you know, like your dad obviously made you do it, but was it something that you really liked it forever? Yeah, I enjoy it. Like I. Like I'm actually a, a really good car mechanic too. Like uh, actually, I should specify diesel diesel truck mechanic. Like I, I enjoy working on it. I mean, I hate working on my own shit. You know, it's kind of a pain in the ass. But like all my buddies that have problems with uh, their diesel vans or diesel trucks. Like I got I got them covered. Pretty much anything on a car too. But I'd rather work on a diesel vehicle. That's so sick. Have you um Have you ever thought about doing like I don't know, Stank Dog Garage or something cool and like doing, like documenting, just builds like everything that you do, whether it's like a diesel truck or like building your race bike or, I don't that could be something super dope in that, bro. Dude, I've never thought about it. Now you're giving me an idea now though. Can you please do that? Can you please do that? I can and it's funny as I got a, um, my... My girlfriend's brother just gave her a, a Subaru, and the, the motor actually happened to be blown in it. So we're about to do a full motor swap. So I think that might might as well do the first be the first video. Might as well just go big and do motor swap. Dude, can, all right. So let's just have a little business meeting right now. So like we got to get someone to do it right. So like get one of the boys to film it properly, and then let's get State of Ethos to make you like overalls, like Stank Dog overalls. Are you still are you still Pit Viper, dude? Yes. Yep. All right, Pit Viper safety goggles. So you need some of those bad boys with clear lenses so that you can run that shit. Pit Viper, can we can we get like five grand from Pit Pit Viper, and then I don't know, maybe State oh, of that's Ethos. That's doable maybe state of ethos can chuck something in and then let's get like some kind of build going we're sponsored by uh anti-gravity batteries so uh, maybe we can hook that hook you up with like a new battery for the subaru oh, fuck dude like where i i want to i want to watch this i want to watch it i want to watch this shit oh i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it for sure we're gonna <laughs> i'm gonna take you up on your offer and we're gonna start uh episode one of stank no garage subaru Stank Dog Garage, a Taxa Subaru. Hey, the Subaru redo. The Subaru redo of the <laughs> room. <laughs> I fucking love that shit. What What is that like? Do you have any dream builds that you want to do? Um. Oh, so here's a, a funny little story. Uh, yesterday, I was out at a BMC Blake McCarthy's house, and uh, my manager's uh, has this bike over there, and. He's got this 2000 KTM 65 sitting there, and it's the same exact KTM 65 that I raced and practiced on growing up. Like the same silver back back number plates and back rear fender, it's all silver and everything. And I, I was looking, I was like, dude, that's the same bike that I fucking raced growing up. And he's like, you want to buy it? And I'm like, how much? And he's like, 
I don't know. It's like my neighbor's bike. He's like maybe 300, 500 bucks. I was like, dude, tell him I'll give him 300 bucks for it and I'll, I'll take it off his hands. He's like, he texts me an hour later and he's like, dude, you own a KTM 65. So there's my dream build right there. I'm going to rebuild this KTM 65, year 2000 KTM 65 to exactly how I still have pictures to this day. My aunt has pictures on her, on, in her hallway in her house of me riding a KTM 65 at Albany, like doing pointers at the, at the photographer and shit like that all in her hallway. So not, I'll know exactly how to make it like, but that, that's now my dream build right there. Damn, dude. So we got episode one. We got episode two. Yeah. We're fucking, we're onto something here, dude. dude. Mo- the racing career might come to a little, little halt right here for, for a podcasting of stank and dank wrecking crew. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So, uh, all right. So you, you get, you give us the, uh, one, two, five, one Oh one for like what we should run on the thing. All right. Now, technique wise you uh, one, one more thing you run you run a size you run you run a one size 100 tire on that thing right uh fuck i think i run a 110 oh man you're you're robbing two horsepower right there really really yeah oh yeah put a 100 on that thing that's two horsepower right there baby no shit stank dog knows what is up all right all right i'm gonna try that i'll do that uh I'll do that before the next time I ride that thing. How's it feel? Yeah, the, what, like, the 190. How's it feel turning, though? Um, I mean, obviously so good, I but does it, it change the characteristic? Uh, yeah, a little bit, obviously. It's better, obviously, in a straight line because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a skinnier tire, so it doesn't have as much side bite. But with the way you ride a 125, you don't want to lean that thing over in the corners and bury it super deep. You know, you don't... I feel like when you're when you're leaned over completely sideways on the 125 and you're digging into the sidewalls, you're probably, you know, bogging down the bike, hitting the corner super fast and bringing the RPMs down of the bike. So with the 100 on there, you know, it doesn't doesn't allow you to lean the bike over super far mm. in those corners, and you know, you don't get into that sidewall and get leaned over super far. You're still riding the top of the tire, you know, and it just it being a smaller tire, it also doesn't dig down as much you know it doesn't rob as much power because a bigger tire is just going to be more surface area on the ground which the 125 the least and the amount of effort it takes to spin the tire it's mm. going to be faster yeah right all right i'm fucking uh i'm down to change that shit so um with with this just to stay on the mechanical topic a bit longer like does this mechanical knowledge that you have translate into uh you as a test rider like would you say you're a pretty good test rider um yeah yeah i feel like i suspension wise 100 percent. like i can i know what's what does what what clicker does what you know like where you're feeling it on the bike like where where you could adjust it with this clicker where what what the rebound would do where where it reacts on the track like what clicker does what on which kind of bumps on that mm. section of track. Yeah, I could tell you exactly where to change it, you know, whether it be the, the high speed compression or the low speed compression or the stiffness or any, along the anything. Like I could pretty much tell you like if there's along the lines, I could go from two, two PSI over 13 or two PSI under, under 13. If it's any more than that, I could tell you we're too low or too high on PSI and shit like that. 
Yeah, right. And so how how did you learn that process? Because I feel like testing is just one of those... I just feel like people don't know how to like become a good tester. Like there's not a good, there's a good roadmap how to be a good racer or a good rider. Like if you do X, Y, and Z, train this much, you'll be a good racer. But with testing, I just feel like you, one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, you either got it or you don't. But like, I don't know, did you learn or it was just always something that you were good at? So I, f- I feel like to be a good tester, you have to know your equipment. You have to know what it does. What, whatever you're testing, you have to know the functioning of, of it, what it does. You know, So whether like, if you don't know what it does, the, your tech there that's with you, you know, ask questions, learn of what, what does what, what, what reacts what when you're doing this way. You know, like we are, none of us knew how to test, you know, growing up, like it's just, your father put you on the bike and you fucking ride it. You know, you, whether you changed yeah. the clicker here and there, you didn't really know what it did. You know, yeah, sure. You could push on it and feel like you slowed it down or you sped up the rebound or softened it or stiffened it. You don't know whether it made it better for this bump here or that bump here, you know? Yeah. So it's like to, to be a good tester, I feel like you have to know what you're testing. You know, you have to know the mm. functionality of, of the equipment, you know? So I feel like if you know, exactly what that is before you're testing it you'll be more in tune with 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 what you're testing you know like if you don't if like i'm saying you don't know if if you're like oh it's kicking me coming down the hill here you know you're like okay that could be that could be a little adjustment in the low speed or the you know but you're just like ah fuck i don't know it's kicking me you know you come back but if you know your equipment like where what cartridge and what stroke does what of where, you know, you can tell them like, Hey, it's in the mid speed of the stroke. It's when it's compressed here, it's kicking me sideways here. You know, maybe we could do this to that. You know, just, just knowing your equipment, you become a good tester. And so did you ever do any kind of days where you just went out and you'd like hit the same straightaway 10 times, but with different clicks each time or like, was there ever any of that or it was just like a long, slow knowledge building process? Um, so a little bit of both. I feel like, so a lot of people don't know, I did a lot of, as an amateur rider and mini rider, I did a lot of photo testing and dirt bike testing for the uh, magazine Mini Rider. It was like a brother huh. or sister magazine yeah, of Dirt yeah. Rider. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And so twice a year, we always got the new models of the dirt bikes, and I always got to test every brand, whether it huh. was like I got to be in the magazine testing this brand of bike but we still got to ride all of them you know and like we got to do like three days in a row at three different tracks of testing it with all the manufacturers that were there even though we were young kids still there was the yamaha truck was there with four of the yamaha guys and like you know we said oh it was doing this it was doing that we didn't like that they would change it for us so like doing that i did probably mini rider and dirt rider uh photo shoots per for probably like seven or eight years when I was a young kid and like that kind of was my testing like just you know getting to ride the new bikes there like testing with those guys they do the suspension testing and I would like kind of when growing up and my my age in my era wasn't like you got your suspension done on a 65 or an 85 like that you know you just like got it stock you got it sprung for your weight and you adjusted the clickers with your dad yourself you know so like just riding with those guys we would take from what the bikes i liked from there we would just be like okay 
they did these clicker adjustments. We would just take those and try to memorize those and just mm. mimic those onto the bikes that we bought. Even though it was just stock, because we were riding those bikes stock. Those guys testing with us those three days in a row on, on different tracks, like it was like, I had my own little notebook on an 85 rider, like Honda did That's this, so we sick. did this, we ran this PSI, like just taking little notes here and there, like even being around other other mechanics nowadays, like for other riders, like I'm still learning to this day, like you, you know, you can't be afraid to learn. There's people that always think that their way is the right way and there's no other yeah. way to do it. I always, I always just like to take like, okay, like I watched Robbie Brown, Tyler, Tyler Barron's mechanic, change a tire. I watched him change it and he changed it different than I ever have. And I was like, why'd you do it that way? And when he told me, I was like, dude, yeah, absolutely. Like I never thought about it that way. Like, and now, now I, I only learned that about a year ago. Now I do that every single time, you know, and it just made my life easier and made me a better mechanic on the tire changing aspect. It, you know, just getting getting to train as that as that kid was kind of kind of cool. That was my training for for being the Grom was just doing all the testing and photo shoots yeah. for Mini Rider, and that, it came out to awesome. being like I was on the I was on the uh, cover of one of the magazines. I was on a pull out poster of two of them. Like I'm on one side and Blake Baggett's on the other side on a on a super mini. Kawasaki so I was like it's pretty fucking cool I'm on one side of poster and Blake Baggett's on the other side or back in the day there's another kid Kyle Engel I don't shit yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, a name dude. I haven't brought up in a long time but he was 85 Red Bull rider on 85 number 134 like I did photo shoots with him on 85 Austin Politelli um, Blake Baggett a bunch of shit like that and like just being on the same magazine the same poster and then like getting knowledge from those guys too because they were badass little riders you yeah, know yeah like yeah yeah i in my notebook i would take down what they did to their motorcycle as well what tire pressure they like to ride at and shit like that and notice i went all the way down to looking at where they put their bar position and their lever position that's so sick man like to to do that from such a young age and like keep the note notepad and shit like fuck man that's so cool and it's so cool that you can come from you know like that's just such a dope thing about motorcycles is that you can come from any background and make like a career you know like it's almost like you know you look at let's say blake blake baggett right now like he's not even in the sport you know like he was a factory dude won championships now he's got some contract shit that's keeping him out of the sport and like that's a whole lane that he's in and that's a whole lane that he went and did and you've just been like the alternative music fucking lane of you know like he went like the pop route and then you're like the alternative fucking music guy and it's like you know you, the career goes along and at every step of the way your career has just been like kind of fringe kind of off to the side but it's still going along and you, you're still in the same spot you know like you're a pro guy like you've got a huge following you've got a massive fan base like you get paid to ride dirt bikes but the entire time you've been doing it you've just been on this other fucking lane yep just just being myself being com being completely different you know like it, it's unfortunate what's happening to Blake Bagger right now because I'm sure there's nothing more than you know love it, loving the riding his dirt bike and supporting his family racing his dirt bike that's what he's fucking awesome at doing but just like like you're saying just my own little my own little journey my own little 
little rocket rocket power ship fucking going wherever it goes how it takes me just just enjoying it man just you know it's trying to stay out of trouble and focus on doing the right thing and lead it lead every foot after each foot put everyone in front of the other one and just be humble right just ride that dirt bike as long as I can man like it's that's in my heart is the dirt biking I'm 30 years old now and I I I hate talking about like I'm getting too old and about racing my dirt bike and shit like that like I just started re- recently riding pit bikes and like backflipping pit bikes and now I want to go and backflip my dirt bike like my big bike and like I want to try to do other things than racing because I know you can't race forever I know your body can't take it and eventually you know like you're just not going to have the speed no more. I don't care how good you are and how fast you are. There's, you know, you get 35 years old, there's kids out there that are going to smoke your ass. So, <laughs> but I feel like a 35 year old can still go out there and do cool shit on a dirt bike that can still make it make money on and just still have fun. So I'm opening up as, as a dirt bike rider now and trying to become a dirt bike guy instead of a racer yeah. and venture out and, hit freestyle ramps and I want to learn a backflip on the dirt bike. So maybe I can just keep making a dollar. And and even though it's dangerous as fuck, it's just the fact that I'm still riding my dirt bike. And that's something that I never want to stop doing, whether I have to stop racing and competing, I still want to have that thrill of fucking verge of death of riding my dirt bike every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was there was there ever any doubt in your mind like because you were so different to everybody else and you were doing it in such a different way or was it like you just genuinely kind of didn't care uh, for a particular outcome and it just kind of like went along and you went along with it or was there times where you were like really doubting yourself wanted to conform to what more normal was or felt that pressure and thought like maybe I need to change to be 100% honest, I, I feel grateful and, and lucky it is gone as long as it has. Like I feel, I don't know if I tell myself emotionally, but I just almost like tell myself it's, this is going to be your last year of riding dirt mm. bikes. Like you never know, you never know your opportunity, your next opportunity. You don't know what's going to come. So you just never, you never know. Like I just, I can't believe it's gone on as long as it has. Cause every year prior, I'm like, okay, this is going to be your last year. Like it's, you struggled. Like, are you mentally going to be okay with it? Do you mentally want to keep going with it? And it's just like, I keep telling myself, just take it year by year. And dude, it's literally, I've been professional since 2010 and like, dude, it's flown by. It feels like I just turned professional and and i don't know if it's just because i've just taken it year by year step by step just not seeing an end goal really i guess or an end end time of me riding but i know the racing can't keep going but i can't get over the fact of riding the dirt bike has to stop like i want to keep riding the dirt bike out of the joy yeah and but like was there a time though when you thought that um or essentially what you're saying is you thought every year you had the doubt that you were going to be able to keep going or like was there a point though that when you were younger when you were like fuck maybe i should just like pretend that i don't smoke weed (laughs) 
you know, try and train and then don't do anything that would be like considered weird and just like conform with what people want so that I can have a career? Like, did you ever even have those thoughts or you just push them out of your mind completely? Yeah, so I, I've had those thoughts many times and there's times where I did take it serious. Like in, in 2016, I got a ride uh, for Rockstar Husky in Amsoil Arena Cross. And yeah. there I quit smoking paw. I quit drinking at the bar with my friends. Like we'd always, after every single race on an Amsoil Arena Cross the year before, like, fuck, I'm talking on the on the starting line. Where's the where's the closest bar? Where are we going to? Where, what are we doing after this, you guys? Like not even worried about the race, you know, like wh- when we're going to go get drunk at the bar. And then that year, 2016, I was like, fuck, man. You're riding for Rockstar Husky, like you need to you need to straighten up a little bit, like take this shit seriously. Like you got a full practice bike, everything. And then they do they made me cut my hair, everything. So I was like, fuck. Did they make stop you stop cut smoking your hair? pot? Oh yeah, oh yeah. What? I can't, can't have can't have you like can go past your ear your earlobe the bottom of your earlobe. So if you notice, like every single Rockstar Husky rider doesn't have long hair. Wow, uh, I wonder yeah, where so, that comes from professionalism i'm sure what about mookie he's got fucking dreads he's i guess he's gonna be that one that one guy the first dude to change it for him the first dude yep damn dude they made but yeah that that year i took that shit yeah i took it so serious that i cut my hair and i i wasn't a fan of it but i took that shit so serious trained 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 like i've never trained before and then, dude, I came out and I did absolutely 100% terrible. Did, like, my riding was shit. I got arm pump. I never got arm pump ever in my career. I, I'd get arm pump. I'd get tired. And to be honest, I think that's from, like, me shocking my body of never doing that type <laughs> of stuff. And then, yeah. and then doing that type of stuff, it was like totally shocking for me to do that stuff. Like I've never done weight training and shit like that. And then I get to weight training and it's like, I didn't know what I was even doing. I'm sure. And I probably worked the wrong muscles out. And that's like what created me to get to arm pump and shit like that. But that, that year I took it serious. I was like, all right, let's not smoke pot. Let's take this shit serious. And it, I didn't do any better. I did worse and not saying that that's the reason or anything like that. But that's when I was like, okay, it's, you gave it your all. You tried your hardest. You fucking worked out harder than you ever did. And you didn't do any better. You just mentally made it tougher on yourself Mm. and you didn't do any better. Not saying that obviously if you do that shit, you work hard all those years it's gonna pay off bet more in the long run you know but if you yeah. just do it one year fuck no it's not gonna help you of course and i'm a prime example of that if i would have stuck to that and kept going yeah of course it would have benefited you in the right direction but that was just the only time that i've ever really been like all right let's fucking buckle down let's take this shit serious you got good sponsors you're making great money like let's take it serious and it didn't even benefit me yeah and like because so for you obviously to ride so like james was a dude that never really enjoyed training and like josh hansen and you know there's guys like jason lawrence like man i watched some videos of jason lawrence riding supercross the other day just dug through the archives i was just like 
fuck me dead dude that guy was so good at riding a motorcycle like pounding out fucking laps but just effortless style effortless so it's like when you can ride a bike that good i mean the level it seems counterintuitive but it's like the the fitness level required isn't that good if you're like being effortless with your riding you know like what is your take on that like do you think it does riding feel easy to you like when you go do a 30 minute national on 125 and you're just flowing around like is that shit fun and easy or are you getting tired that that's a that's a good question um so in my opinion, it's never easy unless you're just having one of those days. Like it's, it's weird. You'll have those days where like, it's just, everything's perfect. Everything's clicking. You, you won the race and you didn't even get tired. You didn't even get arm pump, nothing like that. Didn't even blink an eye. You didn't even think about it. You just went out and you flowed and you did your race. And then the next week and you're out, you're getting arm pump. You're fucking making mistakes. You're doing shit like that. It's like, I always focused on just trying to ride the best you could, the straightest you could, and not make many mistakes, but to push the edge at the same time. And and when you got into that zone, like, did you feel like it was um, like physically hard? And I mean, when you got into the zone, like, I for that it's kind of a it's a good question for me because I don't know how to answer it properly yeah. because I've never like been in that, that comfortable, comfortable zone of winning consistently of like, Oh shit, that was easy. Like watching James yeah. Stewart, you know, right? Like there's times where you watch him struggle and then there's times where like, Holy fuck. He doesn't even look like he's trying. I guarantee you he didn't even get tired. You know, yeah. like I personally haven't felt that many times. It's more like on the struggle bus of on the verge of dying and I yeah. feel like it's difficult every time, but like, just like, like you're saying, J-Law watching him and, and Hanson, just like that effortless riding, like they go out, they do that 30 minute moto and they take their helmet off and they're not even sweating. You yeah. know, and it's like that, that type of skill level on the dirt bike right there, just effortless. Like it didn't take them in, or in any energy. And like when they say motocross is the most physical demanding sport, I agree with it on some aspects because yeah, yeah. you know, if you took a, you're, you're Ryan Dungey, the diesel of it, you know, like, yeah, he's the most physical athlete, but then you take Josh Hansen that can do exactly what Ryan Dungey does. But you know, if you put him on a, on a treadmill versus Ryan Dungey, Ryan Dungey is going to fucking burn him into the ground versus Josh Hansen. Yeah. But that skill level just, it just, it pans out to where it's effortless for him. Just like, I, well, I, yeah, I don't that, know. I don't have that. Yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. Like, it's like a paradox, you know, because, yeah, you can, like, there's one way to do it where you can tomac your way around the track and just, like, literally skull fuck the track. And, or there's, like, the Josh Hansen way or the Jason Lawrence way or, like, dude, even Tommy Searle. Like, there's so many dudes that, yep. you know, they never really trained that hard and just killed it at, at racing because they would just, like those effortless like stylish i mean christophe porcel 
Porcel, dude. Like, man. And so you got to think, like, fuck, is it really that hard to ride good <laughs> physically when you see guys yeah. like that? Because, I mean, that's for, why I'm saying it's a good question. Yeah, yeah. But I think that there is just a way. And Stephen Gall, he did this podcast. He was training James for a while. And he just said, like, he, it's like, yeah, James just didn't want to do any kind of training. But he's like, he was so talented that like the way he rode didn't make him tired but i think that's why you saw him crash when you had a guy like ricky carmichael that was the terminator that would never get tired never take the pressure off you and like if james couldn't ride away from someone and kind of like mentally break him um or like kind of get that gap to control then you know you'd see him make the mistakes that lead to crashes and that was probably fitness you know but in terms of just like yes purely riding a bike like there's dudes that can ride a bike and they don't have to be fit because they do it so good yes exactly that that's that's exactly what i was trying to say like just the the dieselness like stewart didn't have that but he the mental trigger he could do of just still doing a 30 minute moto you know like some of them he couldn't do but just that mental trigger of Mm. I got this. I'm going to do it. And his body allows him to do it, which is yeah. fucking absolutely amazing. So, uh, we, we were talking before about the, like the must do one, two, five things when it comes to like building the bike and the bike itself. All right. In terms of riding it. So advice for me that's got my one, two, five, and I'm going to be riding it heaps. Tell me how to ride a one, two, five stank dog. Please help me. Okay, don't be afraid to downshift a first gear. I know that I know that's one thing everyone stays away from on the 125. Don't be afraid to get it in first gear and don't be afraid to shift it. Like what I, what I mean is like don't be afraid to go from first gear to fourth gear in the amount of 40 feet. Like it's better for the bike to always be on the pipe like just like whether first gear wide open coming out of the corner, your tire's spinning so much, but it's going to catch traction. You grab second, it's still spinning. You grab third, it's going to allow it to spin and keep the R's up. And then just, I noticed no one ever wants to grab that fourth gear where it really just like kind of lugs, but still takes off and still has that high RPMness. And like, that's one thing I noticed. Um, Carson Brown, when he rides a 125, he always rides it in the lower gears which kind of it sounds amazing but it's not that fast on the track like i like there's times when i'm watching carson and like i'm watching him hit a section and he's wide open through it and i'm thinking like dude there's no way i could do that because i would be two gears higher right Mm. there like on the way the 125 rides like you can you can manipulate the bike to sound like it's going fast but not being fast and like that's what I mean by don't be afraid to venture out the gearbox on the 125. Like use first through fifth gear, the whole track. Like I don't care whether you know you, you one time you go up too high and you bog, downshift it. Just don't be afraid to venture out the gearbox on those things. Like it's the the first gear and the fifth gear are your friends on that thing. That's such good advice. Were you in first gear anywhere, Rones, on that <laughs> thing? What corners were you were you going in the first on the corners? Ah, cause yeah, there was a couple corners. You know yep, that double exactly. before the whoops. 
the double for the whoops and then like if you jump that thing so i was in second there and it was like we we rode this new track yesterday shout out moto land um and yeah so there was like there was a like a tight s section then you kind of like double and then up shift to third and hit these whoops and uh yeah that that turn was like bogging a little bit off the bottom and i was like fuck but i was in second gear yeah, downshift to first gear that thing would have been <laughs> so what what else like what else handling wise like that's actually interesting that you said that about uh not being able to lean the bike as much on a 125 and i actually think sometimes like i corner a 125 better because i actually i, I naturally don't lean the bike that much like my brother can go into ruts and like scrape the fucking handlebars but that seems to be something i ain't that good at so that is like another sort of technique so is there any more one two five specific shit man just as long as you got that mx tech suspension on there and um honestly a new a new company i run their triple clamps luxon they just oh, created a new shit. linkage dude they're sick they're yeah, super sick too. but they just that's created porn. a Oh, straight porn, straight porn. <laughs> and they created a, it's a, a linkage and a knuckle. And I'm not exactly sure what it does to it. And I haven't tested it yet, but that the dude at Luxon, he's a fucking genius. And I can almost guarantee you nothing comes out of his shop unless it's beneficial for your bike. If it doesn't improve it, he doesn't sell it. So yeah. for him to make the knuckle and the linkage, like I can't, I guarantee you it's a big benefit for the, for the, and it's only for the KTM. So I guarantee you it'd be a big benefit or Husky gas, gas. It, yeah. it does something to the rear end with the handling to where it's going to be a better bike. Yeah, Not saying right. that the, the MX tech national shock isn't, isn't one of the best shocks out there, but just even, even Jeremy from MX tech, he's, he has that linkage and, and that knuckle. So they're doing testing the, Luxon and MX Tech, they uh, they send each other parts and do testing that way. So that's a that's a good combination for the Husky or KTM 125, yeah. a MX Tech suspension with the Luxon products. Like that would be another thing on the 125, like handling wise. I feel like that would be really great. And then just the sag is key too. Like even if you're having a bad day with the suspension, just making sure the sag is set right for uh for the track. You know, like it a millimeter too high or a millimeter too low of what you found out testing wise of what you like on a track. Like every, uh, some people say the sag has to be at one Oh five and like one Oh five creates like four millimeters of travel or four inches, sorry, four inches of travel on there. And that's like what creates 105 millimeters of sag. So my opinion, sag rider sag is rider opinion based. You know, it depends mm -hmm. how you want your bike to be low. Some people like it low, some people like it higher. So that's obviously going to change the number. So there's really no set number. I think it's rider preference on sag. So as long as you can take a day of testing on, you know, go from go from 95 to 110 in those numbers, however however you want to in increments just test that and find a number that you like that works good for your setting and then try to keep that same setting at every track you know always adjust your sag that'll create good stability for your bike at every track as long as that sag is set and so what's your uh what sag do you run on the 125 that the husky 125 superstitious man 103 on everything 
Really? Yeah. Okay. And uh, 103 millimeters. And and so when you're like uh, turning 125s, are you like trying to steer with the rear wheel? Like, do you have like a specific way that you like to get that bike turned? Yeah, exactly. Steer, steer with the rear. Like, I I like the way Ryan Villopoto rode his bike a lot. Like, that's a guy I like his technique. He he never weighted the front wheel. He never steered with the front wheel. If you notice, everything was all rear steer. And that's the way I feel like you have to ride a two-stroke because if you bury the front end, there's no torque to get the front end out. So mm. I feel like just ride the 125 light, don't bury it, don't lean it over super far, and try not to get into that deep, deep soil. But you ride that 125 like Ryan Villapoto steers, man, that thing, that thing is competable. And so to steer with the rear wheel, what's like the key body position, like, like break down sort of a, a way that you would turn that bike so when you're steering with the rear most of the time your feet are on the pegs and you're you're more back on the on the seat position most people like to stay in neutral position you know kind of get the tack where their elbows are up and that's kind of like they're putting their weight on the front but when you're steering with the rear you're kind of like just putting the weight on more of the back of the bike almost kind of like towards the seat bolts or towards the back fender and you're kind of riding back there and putting most of the weight so the geometry w reacts with the with the rear shock and kind of plants the rear shock and takes all the weight off the front so when you do that when you're taking all the weight off the front and it makes it light so that makes it to where you're steering with the rear and just just being back on the bike is a lot what allows you to do that damn all right i'm excited to go ride the 125 now so do you think uh, like I mean, Pingree's come on here and spoke about the 125. Like, he thinks it should be, like, a kind of mandatory class that, you know, kids go from 80s to 125s. And then you've got Hayden Deegan's spent all that time on a 125, like, even riding Supercross. And then you see Villapoto's riding the 125s. And it seems like there's a bit of a, a movement. Like, do you think that it's something that is going to kind of keep building? And, like, should everyone just be buying 125 stock right now and, like, buying themselves a bike? And, and well, Yamaha even just redid their two-stroke line. Like, can you see it coming back? Um, I mean... I, I I think it has came back a lot from like when I grew up racing two strokes, like in 2007, 2005 to 2007 is when I rode the 125 and there wasn't many of them. And now I feel like I see more of them. There's more kids out in like the, the C class and the B class. I do feel like it, it, the movement has came back. I feel like it will make a push more like you're saying with the new, with the new Yamahas. Like I, I just was talking to, uh, Wacker at era and he said that the new do uh new yz252 stroke stock just create on a dyno has two more horsepower than than the previous model and it's like okay yeah, right. that's a that's a step in the right direction for the r d department you know like that's going to open other guys eyes like okay these bikes are becoming more competable more horsepower and they're cheaper you know and it's like i i think it's a good stepping stone for the for the two stroke for the younger generation like it makes you it makes you a better rider in my opinion like when you're when you're struggling with a bike that doesn't have the most power when you have to you know make that bike work to get over the jumps you know you 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 got to you got to struggle through the corners you know you're giving that thing everything it can to make it to go fast i feel like with that bike it's going to make you a better rider so i feel like you know if the the 
the younger generation when they get off the super mini in the, the 85s that they go straight to that 125 two-stroke you know and if we could get a two-stroke only class and i mean like i think there's still the schoolboy, but like even even like at the nationals like they do at the mxgps they have a they have a yeah. emx 125 or whatever whatever it is you know like if if we did that at the nationals like for kids that are 14 to 16 years old or 14 to 18 let's say you know like that would be a, a a good thing in our sport to have a two-stroke class in there and it i personally think it made me a better rider just you know chasing faster guys their bikes was faster you had to hold it on coming into the corners longer because you had to catch up more you know like just struggling on a 125 will make you a better rider yeah no i, I completely agree and i mean it's definitely like my brother went out he bought a 150 so he's out you know doing his thing on on that like that's now his daily driver and you know like i'll be on the 125 like quite a bit because yeah i mean it, i feel like it definitely does um force you like you said you gotta shift so much more you'll be on the clock like you're thinking the whole time um that you're right and i think it, there's probably an element where they're safer too you know yeah exactly like you're not going as fast down straightaways they're not as heavy you know like when you when you get the the huck a buck you know and the little swap to swap side to side there's there's more weight on that bike it's gonna throw you around more sure yeah. and you know if the bike lands on you it's it's more weight versus a 125 so yeah 100 percent safer in my opinion to especially especially for uh you know someone going from a super mini to a 250f like that's a that's a big jump mm. big big ways you know like even even for example i was just watching uh hayden deegan's what uh, one of their recent YouTube videos where him and Brian switched bikes yeah. and you know he's riding a 250 have a race 250 and he rides his 450 and he's like holy shit this thing has so much power you know like that's only a 250 to a 450 I couldn't imagine from an 85 to a 250F you know like oh. what those they're still little kids they're still little boys you know like they barely have hair on their nuts and they're fucking jumping on a man's bike like holy shit like yeah I feel like it's it's it should be intimidating and it i feel like it's taking a lot of kids that are good on an 85 like yeah sure you know you have the hayden deegans that he's on the 85 it don't matter what fucking bike he gets on he's going to be a great great rider no matter what mm. but you have your local guy that goes from a super mini straight to a 250f like that that's a fucking man's bike sure it's going to tank slap him it's going to be too much power like would it be smart of him to get on a 125 and learn a little bit you know it's not much bigger than the super mini it's not much more power but it's more you know it's halfway mm. the step to a 250f in my opinion you know like yeah would yeah. that be longevity and more fun for kids in my opinion hell yeah well i think too like if if there's let's say they do um let's say at the nationals next year they do do a 125 class right but it's at every round it's like a legitimate championship so if you want to be serious about it and you want to fucking win you can go and try and win um, but then, you know, then you'd probably go and do it. And then, you know, you'd have like Villapoto would probably do it. Dunge'd probably go and do it. And, you know, they might not do every race and all the series. But, I mean, you know, that there's like you're giving an avenue for people to, you know, just stay and make money. Like Carson Brown could go and do it. Luke Renslin could go. Like it's just a, it's another lane, another avenue that you're creating, like more storylines within the sport, more shit to watch. And, I mean, there's probably a thing where you wouldn't be able to televise those races because they'd only have the slots for the 250 and the 450. But maybe that's the online shit where you like, they film the race, yeah. 
but it's like it's only showed on youtube for free and then all of a sudden you're not cutting off um you know like the the entry level dude that doesn't really you know know how to watch the races or doesn't fucking eat like me doesn't have a tv so it's like you could even just be exposing the sport to so many more people so i mean i don't know logistically i, I guess yeah well they do it at other rounds so, i mean fuck they could probably do it at every yeah. round but um yeah i mean even just for the fact of like the i guess the economic side of it like the shit it could generate um it's like seems to me like a fucking no-brainer yeah i i completely agree like like you're saying how Vilpoto or dungey would come out like even if pros don't do the entire series like i feel like it'd bring older guys out that are retired you know like it oh it's it's yeah. a i get to race a 125 and it's it's only two hours from my house like fuck yeah like let's go you know like someone like jeff emick or jeremy mcgrath or something like you'd get you know guys that retired guys that come out and race their dirt bike again you know like whether whether you make it a uh, number one AMA championship play or not, you know, just like if you yeah. had that class, that full class and you designated it and you put just a little, you know, just a little bit of dollars behind it and, you know, put like you're saying, put it on a streaming app, you know, it doesn't have to be televised, but put it on a streaming app where everyone could watch it. Like potentially, yeah, it, it would grow, you know, people would want to see that and throw, throw money at it. Grow. And, and think about it too, you know, like even, um, a guy like Levi Kitchen's probably a bad example because, like, he kind of did pretty good straight away. But think about all the AM kids that come out and, like, their first experience in a national is just, like, thrown to the fucking wolves. And they're on, like, awesome bikes. They can jag a start. They're up front with, like, the gnarliest dudes in the world and they're just fucking kids. I mean, think about, like, how cool it would be for Star Yamaha every year to, like, well, you know what would be dope as well is let's say they do that one two five series and if you're an amateur kid that's still doing Loretta's and got a ride you can actually ride that class and it doesn't ruin like your Loretta's like how dope would it be if you were Levi Kitchen and you raced a one two five at you know every round of the nationals and then you did your last Loretta's and then you went to the pros for the end of the seat like I don't know I just feel like it just creates so many more pathways and lanes for people to operate in and it'd make them better riders because they got to experience that track on a not so fast bike and a, you know, rough of a bike. And they got to, when they transition into the, the 250 class and they, into the series, they've already got time on the tracks. You know, they're not hopping onto this fresh track on a, on a rocket ship that, you know, could potentially hurt them because they've never ridden the track before on the bike so damn fast. You know, like you're saying, you do the 125 series, these guys, they're, they're in the, going to Loretta Lynn's this year, it's at the end of the summer, most of it, you know, they can get most of the rounds done, you know, as, as an amateur on a 125, 125 class, go do their Loretta Lynn's and then too. come back and they're long motos too, like you're saying. And, you know, they're prepared when they come back. Now they, they've got time on the track. It's not their first time that they've been to the track. You know, it's not new to them. They've, it'd, it'd be a smart thing to do. Smart, very smart. Fuck, man, we've solved some problems on this podcast, bro. <laughs> we, did, we, we, we could rule the AMA, bro. <laughs> uh, so uh, what's, what's your plans coming up, plans for the rest of this year, apart from uh, Stank Dog Garage? Um, yeah, what's the plans? What do you got going on? You got some stuff in the works for next year? Um, yeah, got the obviously the the two stroke stuff next year. Planning on planning up. That's that's kind of like my big focus now. Um, 
no racing coming up this year if planned um just got off of a top secret mission uh doing some stuntman work with uh tyler bearman i know he uh, chatted up a little bit on here yeah a couple of us did that so i'd like to get into some more of that this this year if i could before the year was over and then jump into the motocross scene but yeah, nothing, nothing in the works. Just, just uh, getting myself prepared and getting all the parts going for the 125. Um, you know, contacting sponsors, getting it, getting it ready, and uh, living, living the family life while we have a little break. Yeah, sick. Where, where are you based these days? Uh, I'm based in Southern Oregon in Klamath Falls. So I'm like, I'm Central Oregon, uh, can, in Oregon, but 14 miles above the California border. So like right central Oregon considering left or right but yeah, right yeah. on the border so like Medford is on I-5 side or like closer to Reno it would be east side yeah, and I'm like yeah. directly center but right on the border line yeah right what's the riding and shit like there fucking shit man <laughs> shit uh. riding there's uh <laughs> yeah like so my butt a couple of my buddies there like one of them has a track that's got like two lanes on it but it'd be like sick for a KLX 140 yeah. and then one of my other buddies has a track that's his his kids are on KTM 65 so I go out and ride it and it's fucking awesome dirt it's great track but just like but it's for a 65 it's, it's a corner track yeah it's a corner track and closest track other than that's like three hours from me so I'd say for for riding it's shit but for for your adventure guy, hunting guy, guy on vacation, it is a fucking blast. It's an awesome spot to live at. And I'm like, I've only been there for three years, and um, I actually moved back from California to Oregon there um, three years ago, and it's been the best move. Like, just the people out of the city, just it's awesome, man, to be in Southern Oregon. Awesome. Yeah, that's so rad, dude. So yeah, you got the um, you got that coming up next year. Um, and then, uh, the, the stuntman stuff's cool because fuck man, you can make some good cash. Eh? And it's like, not that like you guys, the, the skill level that you guys all have compared to the stunts and stuff that you get asked to do. I mean, that's a fucking pretty solid gig. Yeah, it was, it was a no brainer. Like some of the stunts I was like, Oh, this is kind of all we're going to be doing. Like, Oh, sign me up for this shit all day. Like, dude, it was some of the best it, it, it is the best money I've ever made in my life like some of the easiest money that is insane yeah I mean it's pretty cool like one of my best friends uh Cody Mackey he has been over there doing that like I mean he's done stunts on everything like he's fucking incredible and I mean he's done some gnarly shit too though like he's he sent me videos of, like crashing road bikes at 200 k's an hour and like so there's some no joke stuff yeah. that he has done um but yeah for the most part and and now sick with him he's actually not just done the moto thing like he got like all his rigging certifications and he's like got um kind of like does some acting stuff so like he's taken it so seriously and has progressed so far through through the industry but yeah that, that's like a that's another crazy lane that that guys can kind of get into i mean it's hard you gotta have kind of contacts to get into it but yeah there's definitely some fucking uh, opportunity in that shit eh Dude, yeah, like I, I kind of lucked out by uh, we kind of all four of us that got into it lucked out. We were kind of in the right position at the right time, and uh, there is a little extended of the truth of of what we could do and what we couldn't do. 
Um, but when we got there, like, dude, it not only like, like what you're saying, like it didn't only turn into just motorcycle dirt bike stunts for me. Like I did rigging stunts. I did driving stunts. We did, you know, acting, um, everything like show our faces on camera acting, um, in a, in a, in a pretty well big show. So it's gonna, I feel like it's gonna open the avenue once it all comes out, you know, like just to have that not only dirt bike stunts, to have all that other stuff on your resume in the in the stuntman stuntman world. Like, you know, like there's stuntmans for snowboarding, there's stuntman for yeah. skateboarding, you know, of, of everything, like car driving, everyone has a fucking stuntman. So the more stuntman work you can do on your resume, the more jobs you're gonna get. So I, thought, I found out like we lucked into this thing by just being dirt bikes and like when we went there we didn't know anything else other than dirt bikes besides besides Tyler he's the only one that's done other other acting other than that other than us so yeah. he kind of knew what he was getting into but I thought I was going there only going to get dirt biking on my resume just dirt biking stuff man and it just turned into other things so now it's like holy shit this is going to be fucking awesome this hopefully stuntman work turns into other stuff yeah man and dude i feel like you could even do fucking acting and shit like you are a character <laughs> you know what i mean like you you created this stank dog character like and there's a point where i mean i know you're being yourself but like there's a time where you step into being stank dog and you are playing a role you know so like i could fucking see you doing that yep. shit for sure that's something i i would enjoy doing and honestly i would i would like to to keep doing the stuntman work and then if it led into acting that would be fucking awesome that's so sick well hey you're fucking awesome dude <laughs> i uh no, i appreciate you're awesome bro <laughs> i've uh i've appreciated you coming on the podcast and how long do we go for Reigns? we're definitely over time 320 fuck should we go for another hour <laughs> fuck um, 420 make 320 to 420 <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you. I appreciate smoking weed with you. And uh, hopefully this ain't the first time we do this. Uh, the last time we do this. And uh, yeah, let's fucking, let's get Stank Dog Garage going. I might, or maybe we get Jacob yeah, we're gonna to go. Get... We, maybe we should get Jacob to go and we'll film it. Like, let's fucking do it. Well, yeah, let's do the first episode. We'll get Jacob over here. You over here. We'll do it first. I'll teach you how to work on a car. Done. Let's let's plan on it. We'll smoke smoke lots of weed. Go drink some beer. I'll be terrible at working on anything after I've smoked weed, but I'm fuck. I'll be there for it. Um, we'll save that yeah. for after. <laughs> well, uh, thanks again, bro. I uh, I wish you nothing but the best over these uh, next few months and years. And uh, you're a fucking lord. And there's a few people that I think get through this world on just being really fucking good people one of the people that i use as the example all the time is sam moore that dude has just got everything that he wanted out of life from being a fucking really really good person a really good friend and i feel like uh you've got to where you are based on being a fucking good dude at all times so i appreciate you being that guy thank you i i can agree more you know i I feel like me and Sam are kind of the same person in that way. We would, uh, you know, if we had 50 bucks and you needed 55, we'd give you all 50 we had. We'd make it, yeah. we'd make it happen. 
Yeah. No. Oh, and you've got a fist glove coming out too. Yes, we do. Uh, it's two chapters away. We got a fist glove, stank dog glove coming out. I can't fucking wait, man. It's gonna. I hope it's the best seller for Sam. I hope so. Yeah, dude. I'll be rocking a, a set of uh, stank dog gloves for sure. Let's go, baby stank dog. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, appreciate it once again. I'll um, I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks so much for doing today. Oh yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Much love, baby. All right, see you, brother.